We'd like to thank all of our patrons for making this episode possible, especially our elite patrons. Chris Williams, Heather Sachs, Joe from Real Spoilers, Pete from Middle Class Film Class, and Nerdrovert. Join these fine folks at patreon.com slash binge movies. Transmitting from the last video store in the universe, it's Binge Movies, episode 123. This is the show that ranks and eliminates movies to determine which ones are worthy of preservation for all time, even beyond the end times. On this episode, we rank The Muppets! introduce our guest star that's what i'm here to do so it really makes me happy to introduce to you miss sandy duncan yeah you know sandy it's nice for the two of us just have a moment alone to yeah. talk you know hey sandy hey come in hi oh boy do i have good news you can't stay long <laughs> oh, no i got plenty i got plenty of time well that's bad news what's the good news <laughs> Sandy, are you there? Yeah. <laughs> sure. Why not? Fuck it. Who cares? Yep, that's me. Hello, I'm Sandy Duncan. Why not? <laughs> Wait a minute. This isn't Sandy Duncan. I'd recognize that voice and that accent anywhere. Paul, is that Ooh. you? Paul from the countdown? Oh, no. 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 Not the being lumped in with Australians. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. I am an American. You guys all sound the same. There, there's a lot of accusations going around in certain regions of the world, certain movie podcasts, that we Americans yep. can't decipher the difference between Australians and New Zealanders. And I'm here to tell you, that stereotype is true. Are you, are you British, sir? I don't know. Are you from <laughs> Papua New Guinea? I don't know. Are you from Kuala Lumpur? I don't know. I don't even know if that's a real place. Is that an MCU place? Is that a real place? I don't fucking know. All I know is I'm looking at a guy, and he don't sound like me. And if it ain't Spanish, it's got, and it's still English, then it's probably Australian. Am I wrong? Yeah, close, close. Middle Earth is pretty close to Australia, so I'll give you that. <laughs> we, we're definitely Middle Earth down these ways. Of course, I'm not talking to an Australian. I'm not that. I'm not that much of an ugly American. I, of course, am talking to a New Zealander. Uh, 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 I don't know what the appropriate term. What can I call you? What's a good term that American? A Kiwi. Can I? Is that that's a not Kiwi? That's not an ethnic slur. <laughs> it could be now, but um, <laughs> no, it's it's. I know it means a fruit over in over in um, yeah. America, but for here, it's our native bird. It's a small round bird that goes out at night prowling for chicks. So it kind of describes most of New Zealanders. So it's um, <laughs> kind of kind of fitting to be honest. Sleeps all day, digs around in the dirt, goes out looking for women at night. That's us. We're gotcha. Kiwis. That's gotcha. us. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Um, so let's tell the folks at home who the hell you really are, sir. Okay, yes, let's do that. My name is Sam Hurley. I am the host of the podcast Move Reviews in 20 Qs. If you guys have heard that show, that's me. You probably ought to match that up already. But uh, if you haven't, yeah, that's it. That's generally it. That's that's me. All right, so we will get into what your show is and what you do in your show at the very end of the program. So if you don't know Sam, although I think the vast majority of film podcast Twitter knows who you are. You've been around a good long while. You're a part of this weird South Pacific cult of movie podcasts. 
<laughs> that is. I've walked some podcasting streets, my friend. Yeah, I've made a lot so, of made a lot of friends. Yeah. So a lot of people probably know who you are, but in case they don't, stay tuned to the very end, and Sam will Sam will uh, he'll 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 fill you in on what it means to review a movie in twenty cues. I mean, come on. Mm. I mean that. Of all the gimmicks that I wish I could infringe upon, yours is the one that I would infringe the most upon. And I'm not sure what the podcast copyright laws are between America and New Zealand. I know they're very lax between America and Australia, so I steal as much from the countdown as I can. Talk to you guys soon. Cheers. See you. (laughs) Good. I might have to steal from you. Um, They're very lax. They're very (laughs) lax. I don't, I've no, we've had... I know of three different people that have tried to imitate our show and I've listened to one of them and I laughed because they did three questions in an hour and a half and then they just went, how the fuck do these people get through so many questions in an hour? And I was like, yes, exactly. Exactly, dickheads. Exactly. You don't know what you're fucking doing. Listen, some people say that there is, that imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. As an independent podcaster Mm, who puts countless hours into the product that I produce for my audience. I'm not flattered by it. I'm deeply offended and I want my shit back. So I don't know if you feel the same way. I don't know if you're flattered by people ripping you off because I'm fucking not. Give me my ideas back. Stop stealing my Twitter post, you fucks. Now somebody hit my music. Always remember, I was DX before DX was cool. <laughs> Absolutely, man. Look, uh, look, you know, like I am. I'm deeply flat. I'm deeply fat. But if I ever meet these guys on the street, I'll punch them in the dick. So, you know, that's that's how I feel. <laughs> Spoken like a true Australian. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's get to what we're here for. I'm looking at my watch. I'm thinking it is about that time. Even across time zones, it's time to hit the music, to hit the lights. It's time for the Muppet Show. Tonight, motherfuckers, we're going to be ranking the Muppet movie. Let's start with the original, 1979, The Muppet Movie. It currently has an 88% on Rotten Tomatoes. For your consideration, the nominees are Best Actor. Kermit the Frog. I may not be one of your fancy Hollywood frogs, but I deserve a chance. Best Actress. Did you mean it? Oh, Ms. Piggy. I'll be right back. Watch, oh, watch, Best oh, Supporting oh, Actor. Fozzie oh, Bear. That and for Best Picture, The Muppet Movie. More entertaining than humanly possible. Rated G. The Muppet Movie was directed by James Frowley, written by Jerry Jewell and Jack Burns. It is the triumphant return of Orson Welles, last seen in Citizen Kane, of course. Hell yes. And it is also the triumphant return of Dom motherfucking Delaware. The patron saint of comedy and flavor here at Binge Movies. Praise Dom. <sighs> this movie was released May 31st, 1979 in the UK and June 22nd, 1979 in the US. I don't know when it was released in New Zealand. Maybe it never was. Oh, probably like two years ago, maybe. <laughs> maybe a couple of years ago. <laughs> On a budget of $8 million, this thing made $65.2 million at the worldwide box office. 
Normally here, I will have a synopsis, but the synopsis is more or less the title for all of these movies, so I will defer to you, sir. This is the Muppet movie. That is the synopsis. If you like the Muppet show, here's a movie about the Muppets. <laughs> what's yeah. Your, what's yours? pretty much it. I mean, I, I wrote down a little two-line one of it being the harrowing real-life tale of a former tadpole and his rise to superstardom. Hijinks ensues as he tries to make it big while fending off the advances of a corporate goon who wants to make him the figurehead for the genocide and consumption of his people. It's easy to underestimate like the technical marvel that this movie was. Because I don't know how you saw it. For us in the States, it's on Disney+. And uh, since they've bought the Muppets and they have most of the rights to most of the movies, barring a few. Um, and... Uh, it sounds like shit, okay? This is a 1970 <laughs> movie, and I don't know how they looped the audio or the soundtrack or the music, but the sound, this is not coming to you in crystal clear Dolby surround sound. They did not go back and remaster and put it in Atmos or anything like that. It, it, it just has that muddy, watery sound of a 70s movie, um, a low-budget 70 70s movie, you know, uh, and kind of an indie 70s movie. However, yeah, yeah, I think it's easy for us to underestimate what a big fucking deal it was to see these characters for the first time from the waist down. <laughs> I know that sounds perverted, <laughs> but I don't mean it sexually. Uh, I, there's, I'm sure there is a Muppet furry adjacent fetish out there, and I don't know. I don't mean to offend anybody in the Muppet loving community, but uh, <laughs> I. That was a big deal. To see Kermit the Frog ride a bicycle was a big deal. And I'm going to be honest with you, I didn't want to do extra homework because I didn't want to ruin the magic for myself. I don't know exactly how they did it. I don't care how they did it because I think it's neat as hell. And this is the first time we ever see the Muppets in the real world. Not with real people because there's always real, you know, Sandy Duncans, such as yourself, who would mm. come on the Muppet show. But we never really saw them like out and about in society. They were always backstage or on stage in this kind of contrived, weird Muppet world. We've never seen them in our world. And I, again, I think in 2022, as we watch these movies, uh, it's easy to be like, just watch it and be like, what's the big fucking deal? But I think in 1979, it's a, it was a big fucking deal. It was a, it was a, this is a, an achievement. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, like the Muppets for me, it's kind of funny. They were actually the very first TV show that I remember recording onto a VHS so I could watch later. Wow. Like I loved these guys as a kid. Like they were like the penultimate. It was like them, He-Man, Transformers. Those were like the three that I think of when I think of as a kid. And I remember, I remember when my mum brought home the Muppet like this, brought home the Muppet movie on VHS and was like, here you go, here's an episode of the Muppets that goes for an hour and a half. And I just like legitimately <laughs> shat my pants. I was like, what the fuck? Right. And then like, but I remember being like kind of irked at the time because you're right, like we never saw them out in society. And I remember seeing them out in society and being probably four or five years old and just being like, what, what is going on? But oh, it's so funny it now watching so it as an adult. So it disturbed you as a kid. 
A little bit because I was like, because uh, they're always like a, a TV show. And then to see them interacting out in the real world, I was like, holy shit, they're going to come up my driveway. What the fuck? What am I going to do when fucking Sweetums comes into my bedroom at night? Holy shit. <laughs> so was it like an uncanny valley situation where you were like, it creeped you out? Or was it, did it, as yeah. a little tiny Kiwi, did it make you feel like, oh shit, they're real? It made me feel like, oh shit, they're real. Like, because we had a record as well. So we had the record, we had VHS. Yeah. Like all these, like, you know, like media for them. And I was like, I, I as a young brain, I had no idea that this couldn't be real, that this was fake. You know, like, well, the f- like with He Man and Transformers, yeah. it was obvious that it was fake. But yeah. with these Muppets, it was like, these things are fucking real. You know? <laughs> what? I know like some people are going to hear that and go, that's ridiculous. One, we're talking about you as a small child, not as a fully grown, well-bearded yes. man that you are today. That's, that's number one. <laughs> Thank you. Number two, the Muppets, and especially under Jim Henson, they did something really, really smart, which is they never presented the Muppets to you as puppets. The Muppets, nah. e- like even in this movie, it's like, well, it's a movie, but they're watching the movie in the movie. So they're like, well, this yeah. isn't. This is like a fictional version, but there's a real story, and so they they are constantly blurring the lines. And they like when when Kermit shows up on a talk show, you're not talking to Jim Henson or Steve Whitmore. You're talking to Kermit the Frog. They never break character, right? If you're like, well, we're gonna have the Muppets on tonight, and they blah 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 blah. You're talking to the characters, right? If if Sweetums shows up somewhere, it's fucking Sweetums. It's not <laughs> the guy doesn't take his head off and go, "Hi everybody, I'm so and so. I play Sweetums." They never break it. They never break it. No, they never do. And e- even if you go on IMDb, if you go on IMDb, they've actually got them listed as yeah. their own like people. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's like Kermit in this movie, as and I'm himself. like, what the f- yeah, yeah. yeah, as himself, yeah, Fuzzy as himself. I'm like, they, they legitimately are real people at this point. So <laughs> right. yeah, that terrified the hell out of me as a kid. So yeah. when you're being presented this reality that is seamless of them in the real mm. world for the first time, and if you've ever seen them outside of the Muppet Show or whatever, like on a talk show or any kind of they, they're, they're all the media about them was like, yeah, they're real. <laughs> like, yeah, and then exactly. you watch the credits and you're like, Kermit the Frog as himself. You know, it's like, it's like, what the fuck, right? It, it's <laughs> it. It sounds silly in the internet age, but before we had the internet, yeah. and you're a little kid, your imagination with some of this stuff could run wild. And to me, that has always been the appeal of the Muppets, is that. Yeah, especially this fucking movie. It's a psychedelic. These people did drugs. Jim Henson very clearly did acid, smoked a lot of weed. <laughs> I mean, that's what the electric mayhem is, right? I mean, they're all stoners. That's oh, the shit, joke. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, this yeah. is weird, bizarro shit. And they're just coming up. Mm. But it is so imaginative that I cannot, I can't imagine anything like this being made today, if the Muppets never existed, I couldn't imagine the Muppets being created today and taking such a foothold in popular culture, multi-generationally. It could only happen in the 70s, is what I'm saying. It, it's just, it, w- it would yeah, never work yeah. today. Let me pivot by asking you a question. I like to ask questions on the show, Sam. Uh, I don't have 20 <laughs> questions. Oh, I, I love do, questions. But I do have a few, buddy. <laughs> Are there that many songs about rainbows? It's a good question. Uh... I don't think so, no. Okay, because that's the one thing that's kind of always bothered me about this song, is why are there so many songs about rainbows? And what's on the other side? I only know of like 
two songs about rainbows, and one of them is this song. So either I don't have an <laughs> I'm struggling, man. I'm fucking struggling to remember another one. <laughs> Somewhere over the, the rainbow. But yeah, that's all I can think of. Yeah, that's yeah. it. So I, yeah. I, the song was obviously very popular, and it is a very nice song. It's still covered to this day. Paul Williams wrote mm-hmm. it, and he and if you're like, who the fuck is Paul Williams? He's in uh, John Wick, I think the first one. Uh, no, Baby Driver. He's in Baby Driver. He's the guy who's the the gun dealer in Baby Driver. And if you're like, I still don't know mm-hmm. who he is. He plays the piano in this one. If you still don't know who he is, he's in the uh, Phantom of the Paradise, the Brian De Palma flop. If you're like, I still don't know who he is. He wrote every <laughs> third song that played on AM radio in the states that your parents fucked to. That's who Paul Williams is. This guy has more nice. like writing credits, Grammy nominations, and like pretty much anybody that's ever existed. And in fact, this song, Rainbow Connection, that we're talking about, got a Golden Globe and Oscar nomination. It has been entered into the U.S. Library of Congress, and it was number 25 on the Billboard charts the year it came out. So this was a massive, massive hit song. Um, he also was in Smokey and the Bandit, if that means anything to some of you. And he's been the president of ASCAP which is the uh, American Songwriter Society. Oh, shit. For the, since 2009 to this day. So over almost over two decades as the president of ASCAP. So that's Paul Williams. What do you make of Rainbow Connection? And what do you make of this movie, okay? You loved it as a kid. It freaked you out. You thought Sweetums was going to tear through your bedroom <laughs> wall like he does at the end of this movie. And uh, yeah. what do you think of it now returning to it as a grizzled young veteran? Uh, I like that you preface that by saying I used to think of Sweetums as ripping through my thing as a child and not that I think of him now doing that. You know, yeah, I totally still do. <laughs> but that's okay. Let's move away from that. <laughs> it gives me nightmares. He, he is scary. Um, he is, he's terrifying. But the thing is, he's like so wholesome and friendly. He's just a gentle giant. But um, yeah, for the movie, yeah, I like that. This brought me sheer overwhelming joy to watch this again, mm. right? Because I haven't seen this in since I was five, so that's 34, 33 years ago. So wow. I haven't watched this in a long fucking time. And I haven't watched anything Muppets related in a long time. Aside from the two Muppets movies that came out in the 2010s, I haven't really seen that much in the way of the Muppet stuff. So to watch this was like, was joyful. Like sat down with my wife. I've got like a little two and a half year old daughter, put her to bed. I didn't want her ruining it by talking all over it. So <laughs> Got rid of her and then just sat there and just bliss. And like even that scene that you mentioned where like where Kermit's on a bike, I was like, holy shit, how the fuck did they do that? And then just follow with the line of he's gone with the Schwinn. I was like, oh my God. Like I squealed in delight like a little girl just. <laughs> and my wife was like, what the fuck is wrong with you? I was like, I don't know. You fucking married me. It's your fucking problem. And so I was just like. I was like, oh, this is amazing, man. I was like in sheer bliss. How long that bliss continued, you guys are going to find out very soon. But I was in sheer bliss watching this movie. Like, uh, it just it brought back so much of my childhood. It made me feel so awesome. All the jokes are in there. Um, <clears throat> another movie that I loved as a child, History of the World, which I know a, a child shouldn't be watching. Right, but right. the great Mel Brooks movie, History of the World, not something a seven, eight-year-old or whatever should really be watching, but I watched that ridiculously. Watched that a lot. And to see, you know, Madeline Kahn and Mel Brooks and Dom DeLuise in this, even yeah. though they are in that film as well, I was like, man, they must have been filming side by side. But to get cameos <laughs> like that, and Austin Wells and shit like that, I was like, these are legit heavy hitter cameos. Like, yeah. this is awesome. Yeah. Yeah, in the case of Dom DeLuise, not as heavy as a hitter as he would become, but still quite a no. heavy hitter. Yeah. So the thing here is of... 
It's been a long time since I've seen this one too. Maybe as long as it was for you, honestly. Um, the, I, you forget, and we'll get to it as we go through these. You, you forget how quick-witted and sassy and sharp-tongued Kermit was. Yeah. Kermit was a cold motherfucker. Kermit, <laughs> he was the smartest guy in the room. And so, you know, his interaction with Dom DeLuise and just throughout this movie, man, he, the lines that they give Kermit, he's so fucking sharp and witty. And when he has, like, it's just the timing is perfect. And I, of course, like, part of what welled up in me was we're both old enough to, we, we grew up with the OG Kermit, this Kermit. Yeah, yeah. Which is yeah. Jim Henson. And it's been so long since Jim has done the voice because he, he passed away very early in his life. And, you know, Steve Whitmore did it for years and years and years. And then he got fired and there was a whole lawsuit between them. Now some other guy's doing it and this guy's the shits. The new Kermit is awful. Uh, he's as yeah. bad as the new Bugs Bunny. Um, but to hear Jim do it again was like, it kind of made me well up with joy and like a little bit of like mm. tears. Like I was like emotional because I was like, oh my God, Kermit, right? Because this is full-blooded Kermit the Frog. At a certain point as these movies go on, they kind of, they begin to polish away the rough edges of the Muppets. So they become yeah. a little bit more sanitized, a little bit more child-friendly, when obviously the show was not really intended for children. I mean, that was kind of the whole subversiveness of it, which was here is basically puppets were children's entertainment. Here's children's entertainment, but we're going to do this in a very satirical, meta, sharp-witted, psychedelic, absurd, bizarre, surreal way that was the appeal of the Muppet show where it's, it's a lampooning of celebrity and stardom and fame. That's what this movie is. It's a lampooning yeah. of celebrity and, 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 and what it looked like in the seventies to be famous. And as we move along, a lot of that wit gets whittled away. It, it stops, stops being a commentary on anything in particular. And, the, and it's just like, well, the Muppets just do silly stuff and sometimes they're not even really doing silly stuff anymore. It's just like the Muppets are just in a movie. And like, there's this thing during the, the original Jim Henson era that they're in something in the, 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 the anarchy of the show, the, the zaniness, the frenzy of the Muppet show that is only, I think, at its best perfectly translated into this particular movie. And whatever the essential essence of the Muppet show was, they got it right in this movie. It's the same kind of spirit. I mean, just the, the idea that rather than catch up the electric mayhem with the half of the movie that's already taken place, they just hand them the shooting script. And then we have like a montage of them reading the script and fast forwarding yeah. through the movie. And then later, as the deus ex machina showing up and they're like, and, and again, Kermit being so sharp and so witty is like, well, how the heck did you even find us? We're in the middle of the desert. Yeah, he's like, exactly. He's like, we read the script, man. <laughs> we knew exactly. <laughs> exactly. What and it's like, it's, it's like um, 
the Muppets were always meta, but this is like meta on a whole other level in a time where we, you were not getting this type of entertainment, at least in the States. I mean, it's, it's, it's so it's, there's nothing like it. Cause like, it's, I guess it's like, okay, it's a little Monty Python, but not really. It's a, it's nah, so nah. different than anything that has ever existed. And it made the Muppets so special. I think this is, this is the one that gets the, what, what we think of you and I as old timers as Muppets. This is what we think of as Muppets, right? Right? Am I wrong? Yeah, shit, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Like you're right. Like it's just it's such a it's such an easy way to just um, sort of lure the audience in by thinking this is for kids, and then once they've got them there, just to be like, haha, motherfuckers, you thought this was going to be for kids? <laughs> We're right. going to subvert every expectation that you have. And it's like a lot of these jokes, and similar to like you know some of the some of the best animated films like Shrek and stuff like that. Like they they do that well, and that you know like kids can go watch them, and like yeah. you know they can sit there and like oh look, there's puppets doing stuff, and you know enjoy, and the adults can sit there. And you're right, they can see the the skewing of celebrity culture. They can see the the corporate greed for a very poor substitute of mcdonald's you know yeah. like they've got this <laughs> like or kfc sort of thing it's like exactly the same sort of like just this depiction of fast food and how they're just taking the piss out of it and i was like this is this is so clever like it's so witty and so cut and and the four fall breaking as well you're right like it's funny because when you see lists of like best four fall breaks and it's like oh you know um ferris bueller's day off or deadpool or something like that it's like how do people miss this like this is done in a way where it breaks the four four but it's doing it cleverly and like like almost subtly but at the same time not you know and it's like it's so clever and you're right man jim henson is kermit it's it's like you can it's funny because the voice might sound similar in each of the different movies but you can just tell that there's so much more of his influence and what he was trying to get and create is just put into this film it's so good yeah, at a certain point, Kermit becomes like a mascot. And I love Kermit no matter yeah. what. Like, I'm not talking yeah. shit about Kermit the Frog. He's Kermit the Frog. <laughs> yeah. But we miss the fact that in the show and in this movie, he's he is sassy. Like, he, he talks shit. That was part of yeah. his thing, right? Is he will, like, he talks shit about people. And he does it, like, in this kind of, like, the whole Dom DeLuise thing, you know, Hollywood, like, you know, <laughs> like, the whole thing is, like, he's, he, he's, he's, like, slyly insulting, right? Yeah. And just the entire, the whole ending, not even the ending ending, but the Western confrontation where he comes out, Kermit comes out in the boots, and Charles Durning, who's one of my all-time favorite actors, He's like, well, I think you're the sort of guy who, you know, deep inside, you have to know that this is wrong and blah, 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 blah. And if you're not and I'm wrong, then you can kill me. And he takes his hat off <laughs> and he looks down as if he's going to have that change of heart that, again, in 1979, yeah. that's what we would expect, right? Is This is his come to Jesus moment. Kermit is going to win him over through the power of friendship, yeah. the power of dreams and imagination and the rainbow connection, right? I'm called to go to Hollywood and these people are my friends and they have the same dreams. So they're like family and, and you don't have any friends, but we'll be your friends and whatever, whatever, whatever. You know, like, Oh my God, like it's a Grinch moment, right? Like this guy's heart's going to grow three, three sizes. He's like, and if I'm wrong, then you can kill me. And he's like, well, go ahead, boys, kill him. <laughs> yeah, it's so awesome. It's so awesome. <laughs> the villain has no change whatsoever. He just is like, ah, f- no. I'll just kill you. 
<laughs> exactly. Exactly. I loved. I loved how well they executed that. That was perfect. <laughs> Any other kids' movie, he would have been like, "Yeah, I've seen the error of my ways. I'm sorry." And then it just cuts to a montage of them having dinner together or something, you know? And it's yeah, just he like, joins them to go to none Hollywood. Of that. He helps them get there. Right? Yeah, exactly. He's like, Take my private jet and get straight to Hollywood. And then, yeah, of course, exactly. like they finally meet the big guy, right? And it's Orson fucking Wells. <laughs> yeah. And then the movie does it again because then Orson goes, calls to his secretary and is like, get them the big, fa- big rich and famous contract. Yeah, the big, rich and famous contract. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so you're like, oh, my God, that's the ending. Well, first of all, obviously, that's a send up of Hollywood and Hollywood aspirations. But then the real send up is the end. Because they're on a movie set, which is a recreation of the movie you just watched, which now we're, we're watching them watch a movie of themselves. And in the movie yeah. that they're watching, they're also filming a movie. It just gets like really bizarre. And then the whole set starts to collapse. You know, the Sesame Street characters come out. Every Jim Henson character ever created comes out in the, at the end and everything falls apart and gets blown up and goes to shit. And, every, and yeah. by the way, the sets, they all look like shit. They all look like garbage. They're all one-dimensional. And that is, I think, a commentary on Hollywood and movies of, like, this is all one-dimensional trash. And the fact that, like, somebody funded a puppet movie, that's just the entire point of the movie is your dreams and aspirations to be rich and famous are really fucking stupid. And yep. Hollywood yep. is a sham. And that's what this entire movie is. But at the same time, like you said, it's done in such a clever way that it never breaks the movie. It never becomes so fourth wall that it just breaks the logic of the movie. It's it's yeah. what a what a what a delight this one is, man. This is some fantastic shit. Now, Roger Ebert had a review for uh, Muppet Treasure Island, which ooh, we'll get to. And his review of that, I think, is true of almost any of these movies, but especially this one. And what he said about Muppet Treasure Island was that, that it will entertain you more or less in proportion to your affection for the Muppets. He said, if you like them, you'll probably like this. There are two types of people in this world, Sam. There are people who like the Muppets. Whatever fre- bizarro frequency the Muppets are on, they fuck with the Muppets. Then there's a group of people like Paul from The Countdown who gives every Muppet movie one and a quarter star, one and a half star, because he hates the Muppets. That's not a joke. You can check his letterbox. <laughs> the man hates the Muppets. Cheers. I think the man hates life. I think he's got problems <laughs> with fucking life and existence. He's just got a cold, dead fucking piece of charcoal on his chest. Do you hear me, Paul? I'm calling you out, bitch. <laughs> so... Why don't you like fun, Paul? Why don't you like joy? (laughs) I think we know the answer to that. No. (laughs) But I think that's true, right? Isn't that true? Like, if you you like the Muppets, more or less, you'll find something to enjoy in most of these movies, even if the movie itself doesn't work for you. But if you don't like the Muppets, you're not going to want to watch 90 minutes of them Having a uh, a road a buddy road trip movie, <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, that, I've got a, that is yeah. absurd. It doesn't really make a lot of sense, you know. 
Absolutely. Like I, I will say in Paul's defense, my wife was similar. Like she she watched, I think she watched the whole thing, but we've tried watching the Muppets movies from the 2011s. She's like, I just don't get why a grown adult would put their hand up the inside of a your material being like that and have them. It's just like she can't grasp the concept of like, you know, just imagination, basically like imagination <laughs> being <laughs> crafted into an art form like this like you know she just doesn't get it and like maybe some people are like that maybe they're like that's that's not a real thing and it's like yeah it's, of course it's not a real thing but the part of the joy is just going with it just embracing it and just going yeah it's its own unique creation <laughs> yeah part of the joy is kermit the frog sitting on a stool yeah and 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 crossing his legs and singing a song and you're looking around and there's no, you can't see a string. There's, there is nobody's hand up his ass. And he's just sitting there exactly. talking and performing a scene. And here's the other thing, like, lest we forget, like this is, to me, these are not just like, especially this one. It's not just that, okay, well, they're puppets and it's funny because they're puppets. There are moments in all of these movies, including the Muppet movie, where whether it be Frank Oz or, or Henson or any of the, the crew, the Muppet crew, the Henson crew, they're actually expected to act. They yeah. all have moments of real acting and they are good actors. <laughs> like when Kurt, when there's a dramatic scene, they get the fucking drama of the scene. When there's a sad scene, you feel sad. And it's like, it shouldn't work because it is, it's a guy or a woman or multiple people puppeteering or in a suit or whatever the case is acting as puppets that are actors in a puppet movie, but it's a real movie. It, it, it should break your brain. If it doesn't break your brain, then you, you will be moved. And I think for some people, it's just like a, it's like a illogical bridge too far. I guess it is suspension of disbelief or imagination. I don't, I don't know for, for whatever mm. reason, these movies, these characters, I should say, of the Muppets have always worked for me. And I just, whatever the, like I said, whatever the oddball frequency is or formula, it doesn't, I get it. I, I, I'm in on it. Absolutely. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, especially Frank Oz, because I mean, some of the more emotional scenes is Fozzie Bear and Miss yeah. Piggy. And to take... Like, it's it's easy to be shit as a stand-up comedian when you have no self-awareness, but to actually, like, play a bear who's really terrible at comedy, who's just trying to make, you know, his way in the world and help out his friend Kermit, and then to also convey that into a female Muppet character who has goals and dreams and aspirations and love and <laughs> desire for the someone else who, you're right, Kermit's a stone-cold fucking killer in this, and he just treats her <laughs> yeah. with... You know, he's playing 40 chess with Miss Piggy in every one of these movies, I'll say that. And he's just constantly like leading her on, but at the same time, not fully embracing enough that she needs. So she keeps coming back and stuff. But yeah, like Oz delivers hard. And like, you know, we've talked about Henson, obviously, he, he delivers hard as well. But there's just, there's so much there that you, as soon as you, like, you're right, as soon as you like suspend disbelief, as soon as you get wrapped up in these characters and, you know, appreciate them for what they are, man, they just take you on a roller coaster. Absolutely. Well, I think that we've, I don't know that we, there's much more we could say about this one because it's just, uh, it's, 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 it's magic in a movie. It's so strange. Like I, I, you know, I'm sitting there and I'm watching him on the log in the beginning. And I'm like, is somebody would have like a scuba suit on and their hands through the log. Is there like a, is there a box that they're standing in? Cause it's real water. 
And Dom DeLuise is in a real boat. I understand it's not a real yeah. swamp, but it's a set and it looks passable where there's set dressing elements in an outdoor location. How are they manipulating this Kermit? How are they doing it? And again, the answers are probably out there. I don't fucking want to know. I never no, want to know. know you know, because we get to the point, even within the movies that we're going to talk about, where at a certain point it's like, well, it's digital. Yeah. You know, it's it's the green screen or blue screen stuff out, or or the or Kermit just becomes digital for a second, right? And it's like, well, that doesn't fucking work for me, which is why we're not covering those movies because there's no magic in that. Because I know how that works. A computer mm. did that. I don't know how human beings on eight million dollars shot a movie with real, very large practical sets and in real locations with with an almost all puppet Muppet cast. And I don't want to call it, put them in that category. All Muppet cast. <laughs> where you're seeing their whole body, more often than not, all of them, just walking around the world. <laughs> I don't yeah. want to know how that was done. I truly don't want to know. I don't want to know how that was done. I'm with you. Like, especially that scene, the El Slezo one, when Kermit and Fozzie get up and start dancing on the stage. Yeah. Because I was like, surely there must be somebody dressed in black that's standing behind them or, like, they're hidden behind a black curtain. And I was like, I don't want to know. I don't yep. want to know. And, like, I'm glad that my favorite joke of the movie got dropped straight, straight after that because it took my mind off it, which was the Fozzie going, drinks around the house. And then literally everyone <laughs> scarpers to the roof of the building. And then it's like, I was like, there's no drinks the fuck? up there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I lost my yeah. shit like to the point that I fell off the couch laughing at that. And my wife was like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, like, why is that funny? Every I'm like, why the fuck? <laughs> it was, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It was so good. Yeah. I, you know, there's so many jokes in this movie that, that are just so smart, so sharp, but just land. Bam, 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 bam. Um, that for me, I, if it's not obvious already, Maybe this is a bit of a uh, 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 premature. Maybe we're blowing. I'm blowing my wad too fast. But this, this, to me, is the best of the week. This is the one that I'm adding to the short list. This is the best Muppet movie yes. I watched this week, and I'm giving it an eight point five out of ten. Only because I, I lowered it a little bit. Only because it fucking sounds like shit. I wish that they would remaster yeah. the audio portion of it uh, if they can, because I don't know why it doesn't really look like shit. I mean, it looks aged but doesn't really look bad but at least the disney plus streaming option it sounds like shit it just it's like it's degraded sound quality and i don't understand it in an hd world yeah absolutely i'm i'm up there with you oz an 8.7 so just a little bit higher but um yeah i think the sound and I, I, i'm struggling at the end to think of anything bad about it but at the same time yeah 8.7 i feel is like a pretty pretty good pretty good score for it yeah yeah, and it, it, where is this rank for you for the week? Oh, yeah, this is easily first. <laughs> <laughs> this is easily, easily first. So the it's all joy. downhill from here. <laughs> pretty much. Pretty much. I mean, spoiler alert for the rest of the episode, but I mean, after this one, I messaged you and said, yeah, just watch this. I was like, man, I am fucking pumped for this. Yeah. And then it was just... Man, I'm still kind of pumped. Man, I'm not pumped. What the fuck am I doing? I'm going mental. (laughs) (laughs) Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. I think we're going to have a discrepancy coming up. Let's move on to the follow-up to the Muppet movie, 1981's The Great Muppet Caper, which currently has a 74% on Rotten Tomatoes. Ta-da! Announcing! 
Introducing the great Muppet Caper. It's a new Muppet movie. They're back. Well, welcome home to Checking in. Stepping out. And falling into forbidden love. Oh, excuse me. The all-new musical mystery movie, The Great Muppet Caper. Starring everybody. Rated G. Starts Friday. Consult Friday's newspapers for theaters and showtimes. The Great Muppet Caper was directed by the late, great Jim Henson. It was written by Tom Patchett, Jay Taurus, Jerry Jewell, Jack Rose. This is the triumphant return of Peter Ustinov, last seen in Spartacus. Um, this film was released June 26, 1981 in the U.S., July 30th, 1981 in the U.K., and two weeks ago in uh, New Zealand. On a budget of $14 million, it, it made $31.2 million. Again, I typically write a synopsis, but the movie is called The Great Muppet Caper, and that's more or less what it is. Twin brothers who are completely inept at their job make their way to London. Hijinks ensue, yes, I'm using hijinks for every one of my synopsis, yes. <laughs> ensue as they stalk British aristocracy. The identical twins joke is fucking hilarious. <laughs> it's it's fuck, it, like, it was the, like, I don't want to say too much about the rest of the film, but this that was the highlight for me, was the fact that they kept going on about how they're twin brothers, and then when Fozzie puts his hat on, the guy was like, similar to Orson Welles, one of, oh, here you go, when he puts his hat on, he's like, oh, yes, I see it now. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, yeah. man. He's like, yeah, he's like. What do you mean, you're twin brothers? You don't even look alike. He's like, oh, it's because I have my hat off. And he puts his head and goes, oh, yeah, yeah, I see it now. <laughs> and yeah, that's yeah. the thing is they play that they're brothers straight. That's what makes yes. the joke work. The first 10 minutes of this movie, the, the dropping into the movie where they acknowledge, hey, we're this time we're going to be characters in this movie and the <laughs> balloons and the song and the parachute and they go into the set and Hey, a movie and that song and, and sewer sweetums. <laughs> and yes. All of that had me laughing. It, I thought it was hysterical. I thought it was, I honestly, I thought it was maybe, better than anything in the Muppet movie. That first 10 minutes, I was like, oh my God, this is, this is some of the best shit I've ever seen. Jack Warden with the whole identical twins bit, like we just talked about. Um, I thought, oh, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> Cause it was just yeah. so fucking funny. And the song is the, Hey, uh, Hey, a movie song is so it's awesome. And then there's so many deep, Laws in this movie where the Muppets they're just in a movie yeah yeah. it just becomes and, and then that's what I would say is I think that some of the high points of the great Muppet caper are actually higher than the Muppet movie but they're way fewer and far between and it's a way less consistent movie. And the the valleys, if the peaks are higher, the valleys are way, way lower because there's whole stretches where it's just like them in a actual caper movie with not a lot yeah. of wit, not a lot of jokes. It's just not very interesting. And then and then all of a sudden, you'll be blindsided by something that feels more akin to the Muppets. Like my favorite, my favorite bit in this movie, other than the first 10 minutes, is this is the exchange. This is Kermit and Miss Piggy talking in the park. And Kermit goes, Piggy, Piggy, you're overacting. And Piggy goes, what? He goes, 
You're overacting. You're hamming it up. I am not. I'm trying to save this movie. Hold it. Piggy. Piggy. You're overacting. What? You're overacting. You're hamming it up. I am not. I am trying to save this movie. Oh, yeah? Well, save your performance instead. I, I am playing 800 different emotions. Well, try to play one of them right. Oh, oh, look, I have a career of my own. I know all about your career, Pig. I don't need this lousy duck pond. Ah, sure you don't need a lousy yeah, duck pond. Okay, you sure, go watch. ahead, walk. Sure. Okay, watch. And it almost, at this point, feels improv, like between Oz and Henson. And it's, yeah. oh, oh. Yeah. And, she, and she's like, uh. Oh, oh, I have a career of my own. I don't need this movie. I don't need this pawn right here, which doesn't really quite make sense. And he goes, I know all about your career, pig. <laughs> <laughs> and then they like start looking at the camera and they're fighting. And, I, and, and it's just like the whole movie just stops for the, like, yeah. them. It's like yeah. an outtake of the scene that they're filming. And it's so fucking funny. But then at any point in this movie where they're, the Muppets are just playing second fiddle, to the caper, it just is very ho hum. Yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was. It's confusing. It was like that for me. Like you're right. Like there's there's some amazing scenes. The other one, like you know, I was talking about the twin brothers one. Like when he shows a photo of his dad, and it's a green fuzzy with like a Kermit head. Right. I was, <laughs> I was like, like a thing of nightmares. But I was like, okay, yeah, yeah like it makes sense, you know. And like that scene especially, like those, those scenes were awesome. Um, like there was just you're right. There's so many other ones where you're just you're sort of sitting there just like bearing through it, you know, like, oh, just get it over and done with. Like some of the songs and stuff, I was like looking at the controller thinking, do I fast forward through these? Because I'm not much of a musical fan and there was stuff like that. But there are there are still little bits in here. And one of the, my other favorite moments was, I can't remember the exact line she says, but it was Janice out of the Electric Mayhem when everyone's having a massive argument and then yes, they stop. Yes. And then she, she's like, and he just wanted me to take my clothes off so he could take some photos or something like that. And you're like, What? <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's like a. I think she does it in the Muppet movie too, but she does it in like the ones of the 80s. There's this repeating gag that they do where, yeah, there's a whole kerfuffle with the Muppets. And then the last voice you hear is hers, and she's saying something usually highly sexual. (laughs) Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's talking about like like somebody wanted him, wanted her to do uh, 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 artistic nudes or something like that. That's she's the one. Like, yeah, yeah. She's like, I yeah, tasteful nudes or something. He was like, and I told him I don't take my clothes off, even if it is for art or something like that. And That's like, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There we go. <laughs> it's like, what the That's hell? the one. Yeah. Yeah. But again, that is the true spirit of the Muppets, right? Like that is going back to the early days of the first puppet show thinking that Henson ever did on TV, where it was called Sax S-A-X and Violence. And that it was him mm. with a puppet and like a proto Kermit, basically. And it's always been that like walking that line of it's never vulgar, but it is oftentimes it's always subversive, never vulgar, but sometimes walks the line of being inappropriate. It pushes the envelope. Yep. And those are the best Muppet movies. So that movie has. Scenes like that, moments like that, beats like that, real genuine laughs in it. Um, even Charles Grodin, who I, I don't really typically care for in comedies, he has a he's doing such a bizarre performance in this movie. It's just so strange. And him being obsessed with Miss Piggy out of nowhere. And uh, it's... But then the movie just bogs down with about these jewels and the this and the that and that. 
This one was a hard one for me because I was like, it was like it suddenly was turning an on-off switch. It was like a thousand volts yeah. of delight and then just zero. It was it was like, you know, it was so uneven. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I'm I'm completely with you, man. Like it was it was hard because you can like they're just it's like being, I don't know, drowned or something. It's like you're underwater and then you come up and you get a breath of fresh air and you're like, oh my god, that was amazing. But then you go back down under again, you're like, oh not this shit again. And you know, you're right. Like when it got wrapped up and then towards the end and everything that was going on with that, I was just like, I don't, I don't care. Like, I don't care that these jewels have been stolen or that she's her assistant or any of that stuff. I don't really care. And like, it was like, you're right about Charles Grodin. Watching him trying to sexually assault a, a stuffed, an animal was like, <laughs> what? Yeah. What is going the, on the, here? The, and I, I've got to, i got to hand it to the like Diana Rigg, who most people know as, um, oh, what's her name? Terrell in the Game of Thrones, like the, matriarch of the Terrell family like yeah. she was she was awesome to see her you know she'd RIP recently and um yeah she was she was fine but again her character didn't really care much for her there was like we're talking about saving moments I did like the John Cleese bit I oh, think it went yeah, for a little bit too long to yeah but yeah, it went for a little bit too long, but I do love the bit where he just, like, typical... Because I lived in London for six years. I know what, like, the proper British are like, and that's exactly what they're like. If they found somebody in their cupboard, be like, hello, like, yeah, do you know any good restaurants around here? Oh, you should go down here. Oh, that's not really a restaurant. <laughs> I was like, that is it! That is, like, that's what British people are like. This is so polite and friendly when and just inexplicably, so. You're right, it needed to be trimmed, because it was really funny, but it went on too long. Yeah, yeah. When it, the beat of he's like, and she's just like, oh, what's that out there? And he looks out the window, and then it's like so slow, you know, his response. He's like buttering bread or whatever, and he's like, uh, there's a pig climbing the side of the house. <laughs> she's like, oh, <laughs> yeah. huh. <laughs> but when she's like, you know, I haven't been outside in, in what was it, 20 years or something like that? She's like, oh, I haven't been outside <laughs> yeah. 20 years or 12 years or something. Just so offhanded. And she's like, you know, weather was terrible today. Yep, it's been terrible most days. It's just so droll and so uh, yeah. dour. And and then the whole bit about um, uh, the kids are all grown up and all of our pets are dead. <laughs> it's like there's such, yeah. it's just so, like it's so like dark. And and and, and again, yeah, it's it's like that scene really works. This next. 15 minutes of this movie maybe get a few chuckles the next five minutes it's just like oh my god it, it, it whatever the chemistry was that they got right with the, the the muppet movie it's just not right here it's just there's something off and i as a muppet aficionado what mm. is wrong with this movie why is the chemistry off what's it missing that the muppet movie had that this movie has intermittently but what what is wrong with it? Why isn't it? Why doesn't it work? I feel like they've taken them and put them in such an unfamiliar setting that it doesn't really lend itself to that. Like you're right. Like the first <clears throat> 10, 15 minutes of this, you're like, okay, set in America, all the Americanisms and all that sort of stuff, sweet, makes sense. But then to sort of take them to Britain, put them in that scenario, and then put them in this caper, it's like they're trying. Like they're trying to add a different genre there to you know this theft crime genre to a film that like primarily is a comedy, and they're not really lending itself to that sort of that sort of like action thriller mm. you know theft heist um, comedy sort of styles. Like I just yeah I just feel like it was too awkward in a lot of ways. And it's funny for me though, like as I mentioned, living in London though, it's like 
it's amazing how much London hasn't changed. You know what I mean? Like it's still <laughs> the exact same in this film. Like I'm pretty sure I stayed in that hotel when I first got there. You know, it's like you know. So there was well, that one, aspect. Of, I like that. So, like talking about the setting, I like that side of it. But at the same yeah. time, man, it just they felt too fishy out of water. And like you can you can make that work, but at the same time, it just didn't. And I feel like the cameos weren't as good as well. Like you, yeah, you're sort were. of sitting there waiting for someone super famous to pop up. And sure, John Cleese is super famous, and Diane Rigg was obviously in like quite a few shows and stuff. I think she might have been a Bond girl at one stage. But there's just you're just lacking that next level of cohesiveness. And yeah. That was about I, it, really. I, yeah. I think you're getting at something, though, that, that is wrong with the movie, which is the Muppet movie, as meta as it is and all the different stuff, it's primarily a road trip movie. Yeah. Kermit and these characters have a dream, and they're trying to get from point A to point B, and hijinks ensue, right, to, to use your term. <laughs> this is it's them playing identical twin brothers who are investigative reporters. Okay, that's enough for the movie. That's all yeah. of the like plotting the movie needs. And you could kind of set that anywhere, but then they're sent, uh, they, then they get fired and they get fired, but to get their jobs back, they have to be, because in the giant opening of the movie, which is funny, they missed a very obvious jewel theft that happened right in front of them. And instead, <laughs> this was what was, this joke was fucking funny. And instead, the story they turned in was the story of themselves being hired at the paper. And the headline was just identical twin brothers join paper or something like that. It was just their own picture. And he's like, Jack Ward's like, what the hell is this? And so that was funny, right? Yeah. So the idea of Absolutely. them like being an investigative journalist and hijinks ensue, or they're investigative journalist and you know, hijinks as in a caper or a jewel theft of some kind ensue, that's not a bad idea for a Muppet movie. But they almost, you're right, they almost go too far with it because it's not an investigative journalism movie per se. It becomes a caper movie, but they're not really involved with the caper until the end. And then the middle of it is just kind of this romance movie between Kermit and Miss Piggy and like a rom-com of mistaken identities because she's pretending to be somebody she's not. And it's almost like it, 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 and then of course the, the great Britain setting, the England, the London setting, it's like, it wants to kind of also be a road trip movie at the same time because they're overseas. It's like Muppets mm. European vacation. And it's too many, it's too many plot points and not enough jokes. It's too yep. many competing genres and not enough jokes. And it also, it doesn't lampoon heist movies. There's no, it's not having anything satirical or clever to say about heist films. It just is a heist film, and it's not a very good heist film. It's a boring heist film. Yeah, like it, the plot just degenerates into something very straightforward. And, you know, like by the time we get to the final showdown with Charles Grodin and his, you know, accomplices, you, you know where it's going to go. You know how yeah. it's going to end. There's nothing... There's nothing like, yeah, there's no mystery. There's no ambiguity. There's no, you know, uncertainty. You're just like, oh, yeah. And unfortunately, because it does play out like that, you're like, oh, well, <laughs> that was a movie. Fine. Next. <laughs> and then the thing that I did that, that got me back into it, ironically, was the very ending when the whole crew is now assembled again and they're on the yeah. plane and the guy's like, all right, next stop America or whatever. And he just opens the door 
And he just throw and he grabs the the uh, I forget which I don't know if it's Beaumont or if it's one of the very very elderly Muppets. I for some reason in my mind it's one of the very very elderly ones. And he grabs like the old man Muppet and just throws him the fuck out the plane. <laughs> yeah. And the old man Muppet is just going. <laughs> and then it's just all of it's just all of the and then it's a cut to the outside of a real plane with real Muppets just being chucked out <laughs> with parachutes <laughs> on. And then that they that's the end song. And I'm like, okay, the beginning energy, the end energy, that pawn scene with Kermit and Piggy, some of the stuff you and I talked about, the identical identical twin whole thing. That's the energy I, I wanted from this movie the whole time. If it had maintained that all the way through, it's right up there with, if not better, than the first Muppet movie. Shit, so it's yeah, like, yeah. what a bizarre miss this is. Because it's like, it's so, it's, in some ways, it's like, it's, it's simultaneously the better and worse Muppet movie at the same time. Yeah. For me, with this one, I have to give it like an 8 out of 10. It's going to come in at my number three. Uh, for the week, I, I the highs are so high. I, I I had to I had to bump it up. I couldn't grade it as low as the lows demanded. How about you? Where does it rank for you? And what's your score? It's second. There's almost a trend here. It came in at seven point <laughs> one out of ten. It was it was yeah. It was just missing that solid solid point. Like completely agree with everything you said and everything we've just said. Like there was some massive highs. Like you, you're right. The plane scene. Like I love the fact that. You know, they're all in their different boxes and Kermit had frog and Fozzie had bear and then Gonzo had unknown or something like that on the front of his. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, it's good because yeah. it's like a, it's a running joke of no one knows what Gonzo is. Well, we'll get to right. that later. But no we'll one knows what it. Gonzo is. And then I was like, that's clever. So that's clever. So there were there were like enough in there to get like a few decent chuckles out of me. But yeah, it was just, it was just missing. Just missing a bit uh, more that I needed. I see. Well, that means we're definitely going to disagree with at least – a one on this list. I think I know which yeah. one it is. I think it's the next one. It is 1984's The Muppets Take Manhattan, which currently has an 83% on Rotten Tomatoes. At last, a movie with something for everyone. <laughs> if you're a big star or a small fry, if you're a freak of nature or just a nature freak, if you're into violence or terror is your thing, if you're a hopeless romantic or a desperate criminal, TriStar Pictures presents a motion picture experience that will leave you breathless. The Muppets Take Manhattan, rated G. Now playing at a specially selected theater near you. <laughs> this film was written and directed by Frank Oz and also with, by Tom Patchell and, and Jay Taurus. A story by Tom Patchett and Jay Taurus. Your facial expressions are uh, quite something here, pal. It is the uh, triumphant return of Dabney Coleman, lasting in You've Got Mail. It's also the triumphant return of Juliana Donald, lasting in Dragnet. It was released July 13th, 1984, on a budget much lower this time of $8 million. It made $25.5 million. Uh, yeah, I, I. what do you got for a synopsis for me? Here we go. Highly successful performance group goes to the big city to discover that the only that only the yokels used to dig them. Hijinks ensue as they try to make their Broadway <laughs> dreams come true. <laughs> okay, this is Frank Oz's first. This is his directorial debut. Basically, he co-directed or got a co-director credit on Dark Crystal. This is the last of the Muppet movies. 
to be produced before the death of Jim Henson, which is just so bizarre to think about because it's 1984. But mm. they got into Fraggle Rock, they got into TV, they got into so many other things that were not Muppet related, and where they were, with, you know, Henson was behind it. That <clears throat> you know, it'd be another almost another decade before they'd make another Muppet movie, and we're going to get to it. Uh, well, actually, it was Muppet Christmas Carol, but we're, we've already covered that one, so we're going to get to the the one uh, that's the first one produced after him. But um, you know, it's just. It's so weird to think that there was, I, uh, on the one hand, Sam, like 1984 to like 1992 is only eight years. But because I grew up during that time, it feels like 20 years. <laughs> yeah. Right? Because yeah. however old I was in 1984 versus however I was old I was in 1992, I was a different species of human being, you know? I was, so it's so weird to think about like, okay, uh, it's 2022. The Dark Knight Rises came out 10 years ago. That's longer than the distance between here and Jim Henson's death. But in my brain, it's, it's, like, they, it's like they didn't make a, a Muppet movie for 25 years. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense to me. I, I agree. Yeah. 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 So fucking, it just aging is very, very strange. So in 2019, they, they, this is kind of odd to me. I don't know if you have this show over there, but it's not a very good one. Uh, sorry if you enjoyed it. It's called Once Upon a Time, which was like a weird fantasy kind of Kingdom Hearts reimagining of fair use fairy tale characters, but it was basically associated with Disney. At, at like the Frozen Girls showed up at some point. And, oh, really? Uh, yeah, had the guy, one of the guy, like one of the characters was Rumpelstiltskin. <laughs> oh yeah, I know the one you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've okay. never watched it. No, so, no, those showrunners were working with Josh Gad to do a TV series titled "Muppets Live Another Day," and it was going to be <laughs> your face, but it was gonna, it was gonna be <laughs> what? <laughs> It was going to be set immediately after the events of the Muppets Take Manhattan. And it was supposed to All be right. a Disney Plus original series. And the series was to focus on the Muppets who disbanded after the film's events of they, where they basically go on Broadway. And they had to reunite as a group because Ralph disappeared. Whoa. Okay. This project uh, is not going to happen. But yeah. would you want a Once Upon a Time showrunner-led Josh Gad starring and producing Muppet show that is a retcon that probably takes place in the 80s or 90s? Would you want that? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> trying to think of a diplomatic answer. This has been... Probably movies. not, no, no. Probably not. <laughs> No. Okay. I, okay, admittedly, we, we're catching me at a point where I never want to see anything Muppets related ever again. I'm just going to get oh, that out of the way now before shit. the end of the show. <laughs> but look, I've, I've watched five Muppet movies in the last four days, so fuck me. One of them I watched <laughs> twice, which is the first one. So I'm kind of had my fill of Muppets at the moment, so who knows? Maybe, maybe not. I've had my fill of Muppets. Okay. Yeah. This movie is famous for a lot of different things. One of the things it's most famous for is one segment in this movie was so popular 
that it ended up producing a CBS original Saturday morning cartoon. Now listen, now listen to this. That ran from 1984 to 1991, which is a long ass time for a cartoon called Holy Muppet shit. Babies. Oh, yes, guys... Muppet Babies. Cool. Yes. Yeah. Now, at the height of its popularity, Muppet Babies ran in two to three hour blocks. So they didn't just run 22 minute episodes. They ran 90 minutes of Muppet Babies. And I'm telling you, I was the key Muppet Babies demographic. And I watched that motherfucking show an hour and a half at a time. I love that show. Holy hell. Even after the conclusion of the series, it remained so popular, okay, that CBS continued to air the reruns for an entire another couple years. That's insane, man. It was on basically for a decade on CBS. And then it showed up on Nickelodeon and other places within the States. The reason why you'll never see a DVD, Blu-ray, or streaming of the Muppet Babies is because they licensed so much footage from real movies. So they would insert little cartoon Kermit or whatever as Indiana Jones into Raiders of the Lost Ark. They did it with Star Wars. They did it with Ghostbusters. Every episode was almost a parody or of at least one Big budget Hollywood movie. And ironically, Fire. Marvel Animation co-produced this. So Marvel has a piece of the Muppets. And, and this is before it was all owned by Disney. So it was really bizarre. But it's basically been wiped off the face of the earth because the license for all of that footage, all of the music, you know, the Ghostbusters theme, you know, you had fucking Gonzo going around trying to capture Slimer, all of the shit. They can't do it. They can't show it anymore because all of those licenses have expired. And as much as mm. Disney owns, they don't own everything. So this movie, had, this show's never been released on DVD, Blu-ray, or streaming ever, and it never will. And it was one of the most popular cartoons, at least stateside, of all time. So, you, and it all you say it never will, from, but I'm telling you, I'm telling you now, in 20 years' time, when Disney owns everything, it's going to get re-released. Telling you now. <laughs> And the whole idea that this comes from a song slash dream <laughs> sequence of Miss Piggy. They built yeah. a whole show off of it and it just ran for a fucking decade. That's what I mean, Sam. The Muppets could never exist as they existed ever unless they were created at the exact moment they were created. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like they, these, it's, I don't know if it was that big of a deal in New Zealand. But as a kid to a teen, to a young adult, to whatever, as somebody who grew up in the early 80s through the 90s, the Muppets fucking had the cultural zeitgeist in the palm of their felt hands. They yeah. controlled monoculture. <laughs> it was, they, they did. They, they, ca they captured the imagination of a generation. It was, it's, it's insane nothing about the world works this way anymore. The cultural landscape, practical effects, bizarro characters, like no television station would put the Muppet show on today. And, and it's been proven because every time they've tried to reboot it or bring it back is this or that or whatever, it doesn't work. It, it only worked in this moment. And it was the greatest thing ever created in that moment. But I feel, I feel like too, like for me growing up watching these guys, it was, it was on every morning. It was on every morning before school. So it was like, yeah. we only had 
two TV channels and back in like 1983, four, five when I started watching TV. And then we had four TV channels like in New Zealand. We didn't have cable, we didn't have anything like that. So if yeah. you woke up as a kid, you either watched the morning news or you watched the Muppets. So that was it. Like you had no choice. So that was it was like forced into us. And I feel like now, like if if, if we hadn't had the Muppets and somebody came up with this crazy idea. Um, him Jensen or something came up with this massive idea and was like, this is what I want to do. This is this great new creation we've got. Like you're missing that level of, there's just so much stuff out there. So you're missing that level of like, you're going to watch this. And by the way, it happens to be really fucking good. You know, it's going to stand the test of time. People are going to rewatch these episodes and uh, enjoy it for long, long after it's finished because it is that good. So, but I feel like, yeah, you're missing, missing that. Like my, my daughter, when we sit down, we chuck Disney plus on, she's got thousands of shows to watch and there's none that she's regularly watching like there's none that like captures her imagination that she knows all the characters for aside from some marvel shows because i'm I'm indoctrinating her because i'm a massive marvel fan so i'm slowly indoctrinating my daughter she can name all the marvel characters the proud dad moment but at the same time aside from that there's there's nothing like there's nothing that's you know forced upon you but at the same time is doing such a good job of parroting popular culture or, you know creating something creative and artistic you know there's just there's nothing else like that you're right i don't think i don't either either if it got made today no one will notice or it would just it'd be so watered down like similar to what we yeah. were talking about with these movies that just yeah. becomes cookie cutter versions of like okay well we never know if we're going to get that person on as a guest or that company or anything like that so we better not take the you know be too mean about them we better just you know be polite you know some of these movies just go for it and they don't even care. You know, like they just go for it and it's, yep. yeah. Okay. Now my memory of Muppets Take Manhattan, this is the first one that I'm like fully conscious, like, you know, this is this is maybe the first Muppet movie I ever saw. Okay. I didn't see it in theaters, but I feel like my memory is this is the first one I ever saw. This is the one that like uh, uh, her working at the makeup counter – and that just like that memory was just in my head. And in my head, I remember it being critically derided. I remember that people hated this movie and it was a flop and nobody liked it. So I went back and I, I, I went through all of the original reviews for the movie. And it got way better reviews than The Great Muppet Caper. So people were like, oh, this is a return to form. This is a good Muppet movie. This is great, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, why in my head did I remember all of the critics at the time saying, oh, that one stinks? And I, I'm going to be honest with you, I have no idea. I have no idea where I, where I got that <laughs> in my head, but I most certainly did. And there's a couple of lines that I think are funny. Okay, Dabney Coleman, when they go in and they pitch their Broadway show to Dabney Coleman, which that whole scene's great because he just gets it up taken, taken out by the police. <laughs> He's a total con artist. But when he's like, uh, okay, songs, dances, shootings, whatever, they're like, no, no shootings. And Kermit's like, no, no shootings. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nobody cares about shootings anyway. And then, then later he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Songs, dances, shootings. Yeah. <laughs> shootings, yeah. stabbings. Yeah, the real heart of New York. And they're like, no, 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 no. No shootings and stabbings. <laughs> I was like, okay, again, that's Muppets. That is that subversive push of the envelope kind of a thing. And then him just getting taken out in handcuffs and the whole thing's a fucking scam. <laughs> Again, it's like the first 10 minutes of this movie are like, this feels like the Muppets. And then there's nothing else that is funny in this movie. <laughs> there's not. 
there's there's really nothing else. I mean, yeah, you're right. The makeup scene maybe was pretty funny. Joan Rivers and Miss Piggy just going fucking mental behind a makeup counter. Just because um, it's so bizarre. Yeah, just because it is so bizarre. It's, yeah, there was there was nothing else. Like it just it felt like a massive drag, and I remember just sighing relief when it was finished. You know, <laughs> I was. Yeah, here's what I was here's what I would say about the movie. Because it's the Muppets, it is there is a charm to it. Yeah. But with the it is charming. And this is this teeters more into what we were talking about of like real they're getting like real performances out of the Muppets as actors playing characters. <laughs> you know, if that makes any sense, if you can follow whatever the fuck I just said. Because this is not a Muppet movie. This is just like a movie that the Muppets are starring in. Yeah. yeah. Even more so than The Great Muppet Caper. The Great Muppet Caper kind of feels at odds with itself at times where it's a Muppet movie and then it's just a mediocre 70s heist movie. This one is like, no, this is just a full-blown 80s, I want to be on Broadway, flash dance, like whatever movie that has some Muppety stuff in it. You know, um, I was blown away by the fact that like Rizzo the Rat showed up in the last one because I didn't I thought he was like a 90s creation. I didn't realize he was in the second Muppet movie ever made. I didn't realize he was like one of the main characters of Muppets Take Manhattan. You know, that was (laughs) bizarre. I totally forgot about full-sized Piggy, which is just a human in a Piggy suit that shows up in, in the last movie and is back in this one and even more terrifying in this oh, movie, fuck yeah. Oh. yeah, you're yeah, talking yeah, about Uncanny that, Valley. That's fucking terrifying. Yeah, that was terrifying. Miss Piggy running full pursuit through after that dude in the park was just. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it, 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 that's Uncanny Valley shit. That was like, oh god, that's that's creepy. But yeah. here's the thing, okay. As charming as the movie is, and I would even say it's a better directed movie. It's a better looking movie. It sounds better. Like, it's a better movie movie. It is not a good Muppet movie because it yep. isn't there. It's not even that it's not funny. It's that there aren't many jokes. It's not even necessarily trying to be funny, which is weird. Like, it's not like they're going for jokes and they're not landing. There's a lot of t- stretches of this movie where it, it's just not trying to be funny at all. It's, you know. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Like it's, it's, it's weird. Sort of like watching a like watching a musician's biopic. It's like watching Walk the Line or something like that. Like there is this comedy in there, sure, yeah. but it's not it's not the main focus of it. And that's I feel like you're right. Like I feel like you could actually swap the Muppets out and put in human characters, and you'd just get a paint by numbers story of like you know a group of people that are wildly well you know relatively successful outside of New York, and then when they go to New York and actually get to the you know, like the center of what they're trying to do and, you know, do a Broadway play and stuff like that. And they soon realize that, hey, you guys aren't actually all that good. And to get conned out of their money and all that sort of stuff, it's like, yeah. you know, that that is, it's like a, it's a paint by numbers, you know, like not coming of age story, but like, you know, a rags to riches and underdog story. Yeah. It's one of those sorts of like very common stories. And yeah, man, like it's, it was a shame because I, I, I'm sure I watched this as a kid, but I don't remember anything from it. And then mm. watching as an adult, I, I was like, I'm sure I've seen this, but I I kind of remember 
the I kind of remember the scene in the diner where Kermit's asking for a job and Rizzo and his whole entire family are asking for jobs. <laughs> like I sort yes. of have a yeah. flashback of that. Yeah. I'm thinking, is that how you, is that how you get a job? You just show up with your whole family and go, can we all have jobs? <laughs> I was like, well, is yeah. that how the world works? But yeah, it's just. Rewatching it now as an adult, I was like, I just the joy's gone. If you watch these films regularly every year or two, and you know they still occupy a fondness and a place in your heart that hasn't died out, then you probably still enjoy them. And that's how I feel about this film. Like I feel like if you watch mm. this often, because I do have friends that you know like mention the Muppets too, and they're like, oh, I fucking love Muppets Stack Manhattan. I was like, have you watched it recently? They're like, nah. Or you know, or they're like, yeah, I watch it every year with my kids. I'm like, okay, so it just keeps occupying a place in your heart. Whereas for me, watching right. it with the disparate views and like i'm not i'm not going to go full negative about this i sound like i'm about to give it a two out of ten or something but it's it's there's still enjoyment there but it's just i don't know it's it's again it suffers from the fact that we've got the best first and then from there it's just like diminishing returns which funnily enough is this box office as well by the sounds of it so it was just it was just that diminishing return of what it can do and what what it does is just two different things yeah yeah, it's like they didn't know what to do with the Muppets. They kept trying to position them as the show and the movie is all anarchy. And you can't just do anarchy over and over and over and over again because that would be taxing too. So it, it feels like as the Muppets became, and this is so weird to say. So if you're a young person, you're like, I have no idea what these guys are talking about. But <laughs> yeah, as the Muppet characters became real life pop culture stars. And there was no distinction. They were not seen as characters. It, like we talked about at the beginning, it was Kermit the Frog is a person. <laughs> He's an actor. Miss Piggy is an actress. Fozzie Bear is an actor. These are all actors. Okay. As those characters, those actors became popular, became movie stars, it was like they just started plugging them in in human roles in movies, just standard plots. And they brought a little bit of the Muppetness with them, but they weren't necessarily vehicles built for the Muppets and what the the spirit of the Muppets. Does that make any sense? You know, Absolutely. It's so yeah, hard yeah, to yeah, articulate this because you're talking about puppets at the end of the day. But they occupy this weird space in our public consciousness that they're not really puppets. They're something other than. They are Muppets. They're this weird, one-of-a-kind defined thing. And these movies, they keep wearing the edges down on them. And mm. like, there's some funny stuff in here, but it's not fall off your couch laughing funny. It's not uh belly laugh or even like audible laugh funny like th this movie had a couple of things where i was like huh, huh you know i was like charmed by it or i thought it was funny like the the greek uh diner owner and he like basically has all of these like words of wisdom it's all gibberish and none of it makes any <laughs> sense and it's another one where like kermit sassy again and he was like did that help and he was like no not really <laughs> <laughs> you know the scene was peter falk where it's him and Kermit, and he's like, "I I know your situation. Give me, give me, uh, give me two minutes. I can tell you exactly why you're sad, Frog." And he's completely wrong. And then Kermit's yeah, like, yeah, "Oh, right. gee, well, you couldn't have been more wrong if you tried." You know, <laughs> like, that stuff. That was like, good. Again, yeah. there are funny bits in it. There, the the Col the Dabney Coleman stuff. But for the most part, it's it's if it is funny, it's mostly just sort of like, "Ha, huh, that's pretty cute." It's cute. Yeah. 
it, that's what I would say. It's when this movie is not dragging, because it does, it's cute. Yeah, it just wasn't as good. It was. It's still enjoyable. If you're a Muppets fan, you'd probably still like this. But for me, man, it was it was pushing the limits. One of the highlights is I'm a big fan of seeing movies. Ghostbusters does this well. Uh, even a movie like New York Ninja does this well. Uh, but <laughs> I love seeing like early '80s New York, where if especially if it was like it's filmed in '83, it comes out in '84, because so much of the '80s was just more of the '70s. You know, and, and there was like this weird 70s hangover. And it's not quite the 80s that we remember. It's definitely not the 80s of like nostalgia, which is all like, you know, neon lights and all this sort of shit. People in short shorts playing handball and like streets are kind of filthy and the hairstyles are terrible. And I, I really like that version of New York, the kind of grimy, filthy, like loud, noisy New York. And... um that like I know that that's not enough reason to turn on a, a Muppet movie and watch it for ninety minutes, but uh, that's a that's at least another something. So for the production increase of production value, the I would say the simplification of genres where it's not trying to be so much of what the Muppet Caper was and failing, um, and because I think it's better directed and things like that, I give it a slight bump over wow. Muppet Caper. But but it's not as funny as Muppet Caper, so right. it's a it's 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 like it's a better movie movie if that makes any sense. So I give it an eight point two five out of ten. It's my number two for the week, but it's just wow. a slight bump, slight edge. I know that's not going to be the case for you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I sort of I run by the philosophy that if I give something because we give scores out of ten thousand on our podcast, and I run by the philosophy of. <laughs> If it's 5,000 and 6,000, then you've enjoyed it, but you don't necessarily think other people will enjoy it. And then over 6,000 is like pretty much you'd recommend it to someone. So I kind of landed there. I've given it a 6.2 out of 10. It's, yeah, massive drop in decline. And I mean, massive decline in quality for me. And it just wasn't that much more there that I really want to go back and see. So yeah, for all the reasons I've mentioned really. So yeah, 6.3 out of 10. Okay, now we're, we're getting into sacred territory here. Sam, I hope you're ready for this because this is where our mentions are going to explode. I am talking about 1996's Muppet Treasure Island, which currently has a 71% on Rotten Tomatoes. On February 16th, the Muppets are hitting the high seas and everything in between. Here we go again. Walt Disney Pictures presents from Jim Henson Productions. We got cabin fever. Kermit the Frog. Not bad for an amphibian. Miss Piggy. No more, Miss Nice Guy. <laughs> and the rowdiest crew ever. Hurry, Rizzo! I'm going as fast as I can. Muppet Treasure Island. Rated G. We got cabin fever. We're all going. Muppet Treasure Island was directed by Brian Henson with the screenplay by Jerry Jewell, Kirk Thatcher, James Hart, it is based on Treasure Island by Robert Louis Stevenson. It was released February 16th, 1996 on a budget of $31 million. It made $34 million. <laughs> this was the second movie produced by Walt Disney. Uh, 
I, there's there's a lot of trivia I want to get into with this one. It's absolutely absurd. But first, I want to hear your synopsis. Set during pirating times, a precocious and downright annoying as hell kid flees his hometown in pursuit of buried treasure. Hijinks ensue as the kid soon discovers he's about to have a front row seat to some mutinous action that anyone could have spotted about 20,000 leagues away. The soft falsetto of Castrati Jim Hawkins pierces my eardrum with searing pain. Yes. That kid is the worst thing in the history of film. Yeah. yeah. This kid oh. is the shit. He's awful. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't. I could not, whatever greatness, bizarreness, hamminess, full-blooded, I'm just going to go for it, Tim Curry, that he's trying to bring here in this movie, is to me, if not completely, mostly offset by this fucking kid. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, let's start with some trivia here on this one. So, the Hormel Foods Corporation, a.k.a. the creators of Spam, sued Jim Henson Productions for using the name Spam, or whatever it was, for one of the film's tribal pig characters, the main warlord pig guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is what's Holy, funny. What the fuck? <laughs> In 1995, a judge dismissed the suit on, on failure to prove damages. And this was his note. Quote, one might think Hormel would welcome the association with a genuine source of pork. <laughs> That's amazing. That is As amazing. As a real judge that really, that was in his real ruling. <laughs> Fuck, I love you, America. God, you're amazing. Okay, I got some hot takes here. If there's one genre of movies we do not need, it's pirate movies. Okay, yep. Most pirate movies are spectacular failures. Yep. They're all yep. terrible for the most part. And here's what I would say. All pirate musicals are spectacular failures. I'd easily agree with you on that one. Yes. The world does not need pirate movies, and it most certainly does not need pirate musicals. Yeah. And this, the fact that this movie has a cult obsessive following that routinely turns up on Twitter, I think what it is, it's a generational demarcation. There are two generations of people who grew up with Muppets. Both were born probably in the 80s to early 90s. There's people like you and I who grew, were born in the early 80s, late 70s, whatever the fuck. And we grew up during what I would call prime Muppet era, right? The Muppet show was still on in reruns. It was still a popular part of culture. These movies were, you know, the, one, the three that we've covered so far were a big fucking deal. Muppet Babies was a big fucking deal. And it's like prime era Muppets. And then probably with Jim Henson's death, Muppet Christmas Carol and a lot of the TV specials forward, basically 90s Muppets, 
was almost a, a, a different thing. We've kind of gotten at it. We, we've watched the, I don't want to call it degradation, but the change in the Muppets from kind of weird, psychedelic, biting satire to safe, family-friendly, standard movie, cute stuff. Yeah. Now, now we're in this era where they're just doing adaptations. Yada, 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 whatever. You know, some public domain story with Muppets in it. And the Muppets are almost secondary characters to the human actors. You know, you put them in some key roles, blah, blah, blah. But for the most part, it's about the human actors. And it basically just plays out the way it does in some book somewhere. Okay. Treasure Island is not a book for kids. So it's bizarre that they adapted this for children, which is just so strange to begin with. But if you are somebody who grew up in the late 80s, early 90s, and you were too young for those earlier Muppet movies, and you were kind of, you were in your peak childhood in the 90s, then you're going to love Muppet Treasure Island. I am not one of those people. And I think <laughs> the only saving grace of this entire movie is Tim Curry. Yes. And I think everybody's praise of Tim Curry in this movie is grossly exaggerated because this movie actually neuters Tim Curry two-thirds of the movie. He does almost nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's amazing, man. Like this movie summed stinks. Up ex- <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you've summed up how I feel about this because I've literally written, it's too, too adult to be a kid's movie, too childish to be an adult's movie. If Tim Curry wasn't in this, this movie would be fucking garbage. <laughs> There's a couple of funny Muppet jokes, okay? There's uh, yep. Statler and Waldorf who are, like, on the bilge of the ship or whatever, and they're, like, uh, something about, like, something about being on the ship, and it's, like, uh, it could be worse. We could be in this movie! <laughs> and yeah, yeah. like, we are in this movie! Oh! <laughs> right? There's a, again, they're almost always funny, whatever, whatever. The, yep. the biggest joke, they got the biggest laugh out of me, was when one of like the catfish looking characters is holding dead Tom and says to, uh, I think Tim Curry or somebody's like, dead Tom, you killed him. And then one of the other Muppets comes up and goes, whatever that character's name is, well, dead Tom's always been dead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. That, that got a really that, good laugh out of me as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's some fucking funny shit. That's it. Kermit has nothing to do in this movie. No. They've written no jokes for him. No, nothing. There is nothing for Kermit to do. It's, it's like Gonzo. I don't remember. I don't even remember Gonzo being in this movie. I know he was. I don't remember a thing about him. I couldn't tell you what Fozzie was doing. I couldn't tell you what Rizzo was doing. I, 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 I Kermit's the captain. Piggy's the warlord. Uh, person, you know, in charge of the island. Uh, that's it. I, I don't remember anybody or anything else. I watched this thing in its entirety. I saw it in 1996 on home video. I hated it as a kid. I was going back to it because so many people told me, no, 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 you got to go back. It's good. And here's the thing. I hated him up at Christmas Carol as a kid. About 10 years ago, I went back and watched it. And I was like, no, this, I really liked it. I really love, I really liked that movie. It's one of my favorite Christmas movies. So I thought there's a chance that I could really like this one like I ended up reappraising A Muppet Christmas Carol. Uh, I don't. I like it less than I remember it as a kid. This 
thing sucks because I'm coming directly off of watching the real undiluted Muppet movies. And then I'm watching this and I'm going, what is this? Why was this made? What, what is happening here? Like, like you're right. It's too adult because it's a pretty faithful adaptation of a pretty long old timey novel that will bore the shit out of most kids. And it's not particularly funny. The humor at this point when it is humor, it's not, it's not like what you were saying where it's jokes that kids can laugh at, but adults will get the full meaning of. That's not this. These are, when there are jokes, they're usually pretty childish. Yeah. yeah. They're not Muppet level smart jokes. This movie, and that's my biggest critique of the movie. It is not clever and it's not smart. Um. I'm with you, man. Like, I feel like we're twinning hard out on this because that's exactly how I feel about all of this. And the same with Muppets Christmas Carol. I remember watching that as a kid and being like, Ugh. and then, like, yeah, now we watch it every Christmas. It's, it's turned into that for me. And then you're, like, you're right with this. Like, it's just, it's, it reminds me of A Phantom Menace, right? Because there's a younger generation that love the prequels. They love them. They love all those prequel Star Wars films. Yeah. But for me growing yeah. up, loving Star Wars, and then watching those films, I was like, this isn't fucking Star Wars. What the fuck is this? And then, right. But now, like, people are like, oh, bro, you got to go back and watch Phantom Menace. It's so good. And I was like, it's two hours of fucking trade talks with one awesome, like, lightsaber duel at the end of it. I don't want to watch that. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, but and, and, like, this is it for me. Like, I... I don't remember watching this. I know I'd watched it. I don't remember how old I was because this is 96, so I would have been 14 when it came out. So I feel like maybe I watched it, you know, just like on TV when I was maybe 17, 18, something like that. I remember watching it and just being like, yeah, whatever. And then, yeah, going back and rewatching it, I, I'm not going to lie, this was a slog. I actually watched this over five sittings. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I know that's not a lie. There was like 15 minutes and then I'd like go off and do something, sat down with my daughter, started watching it. She was like, nah, I don't want to watch this. I'm like, you fucking neither, man. <laughs> and then I watched a good chunk, about 45 minutes of it yesterday. But before then it was like little 15 minute bursts to the point that I think I went back. Yeah, I did. I went back and restarted it from the start. Cause I was like, I don't know what the hell's going on here. I don't know who these people are. And then I remember being like, now I know why I don't know what's going on here. Cause Billy Connolly is trying his best at the start and he's awesome. Jennifer Saunders, not bad. And then from there, it just becomes this kid show and you're just like, oh, just kill this kid. Someone kill this kid. You know, when, when Tim Curry's saying, I like you, I'm like, why do you like him? Sink him, kill him. Come on, man. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> shoot him. You've got a gun? Fuck. <laughs> Just shoot the kid, Long John. Just shoot him. This movie would be a 10 out of 10 if you'd shot him at the end. He was like, I can't let you blow that whistle. And he's like, I'm going to blow it. I never want to see you again, Long John Silver. He's like, nah, fuck off. Bang. This is amazing. You set me up for it. I feel like there's an alternative universe where the old school Muppets would have just killed the kid. Yes, shit, yeah. He would have blown like, up. Like. Inexplicably blown that, up. That, he would have shot him in the chest and he would have blown into a million pieces. And, he would, yeah, and then yeah, Gonzo would have yeah. popped up and said, Well, he shouldn't have been standing by his dynamite or something like that. You would have been like, Oh, fuck yes. And that, that, see, th this is what we're getting at, right? The Muppets used to be like meta textual. They were meta textual about themselves and Hollywood and 
I know I'm kind of repeating myself, but it, it's so hard because I, I think there's an entire like two, three generations of people now that forget that that's what the Muppets were because they're not that yeah. anymore. They're just yeah. like, you know, figureheads and they're just kit collectibles in the Disney menagerie. That's all they really are. They're little curios. But the whole point is when they, under Jim Henson, if they were going to do an adaptation of Muppet Treasure Island or what, it, what or, you know, Treasure Island or whatever, it would be because they would have something subversive to say about literature. We want to say something subversive about classic literature. So we're going to use this story as a blueprint to, te- to do something subversive, like blowing the kid up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like we're just going to change the ending to a classic classic literature or we're going to get there in some bizarro psychedelic weirdo cutting edge way where you and it, and it didn't just feel loosey-goosey yeah. prime muppets felt so fucking smart like I, i've i've long said this on this show to do and i wouldn't put muppets in exactly this category but it's a similar principle to do stupid comedy well you actually have to be very smart but to do muppets at their best you have to be very clever. You have to be like two steps ahead of the audience, at least every, every minute you're, you're constantly ahead of the audience and, and your, your punchline is the setup for the next punchline, which is the setup for the next bit, which is the setup for the next gag. But it's not just all gags. It's also actually a story and a movie that works on its own terms. And it's goddamn near impossible to pull that off. Where it's it is, like yeah. it's 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 successful as a film, but it's also a gag a minute. But it's like it it's just it's miraculous that they were ever able to have a TV series like this, and they did. And most of the episodes are like consistently some of the smartest shit that's ever been on television, hands down. First few movies have some of the funniest, smartest, most clever gags. Even Muppet Caper has some of the smartest, funniest shit. I've ever seen in a movie. Yeah. Yeah. The I'll, first I'll Muppet movie. Agree. Yeah. It's like, what the, like, how did they do this? <laughs> you know, like you just imagine like the funniest, smartest guys and gals you've ever met just creatively bouncing off of each other, probably high off their ass on weed and just, just, just doing the, whatever they can think of. And then also the creative genius to, if they think it, they're the same motherfuckers that got to build it. You want to build a giant animal? You got to build a giant head that's going to come literally out of a giant building. Yeah. You're going to have to build a giant animatronic puppet. You're just going to have to do it. That's genius to get to this where it's just at best standard kid movie 90s fair uh, may, maybe not standard because by this point we're getting like the big green and like a lot of really like meet the stupids and real low end kids entertainment. So this is a notch above that because at least it's classic literature. So I guess it's smarter on that level. It's not ladybugs with Rodney Downey. Let's <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, bring that up. Oh my God. That's right. an experience. <laughs> right. right. Uh, so, you know, it's it's not a, a rock-a-doodle or some shit. So I guess it is above that, but it's not, you're right, man. They just they set the bar too fucking high. Right. I mean, the Muppets become a brand. You know, they become a brand, and then when you see that, you have a certain level of expectations. 
You know, yeah. it's just, it's like if, if you went to buy a pair of Nikes and then you took them home and they fell apart the first time you went for a walk, you'd be like, what the fuck? You know what I mean? Like, this isn't right. what they're supposed to do. You know, it's like, yeah, you just have a level of expectations with that brand. And this movie just isn't it. Like, they are. They're just literally randomly inserted into there with the occasional, like, joke or, I don't know, acknowledgement that they're not really humans, but at the same time, they're not. I mean, like, like even, like, um, Fozzie has a character, somebody living in his farm. I'm like, what the fuck is that? (laughs) What? Yeah. Yeah. The one joke, okay, there's one joke about the guy and his thumb that got me, and it was, he says something to the effect of, like, I wish I never let you live in my thumb or something like that. And it's only, or I wish I let somebody else live in my thumb or something. And that got me because I'm like, that's so strange. That's the strangest fucking, like, that is at least odd. That's at least <laughs> really yeah, yeah. fucking weird. Yeah. But other than that, it, it's it's just so, and yeah, it's so paint by numbers, and there's nothing to latch on to. It's so hard to talk about this movie because it's Treasure Island, like you said, with some Muppets inserted in it. And... Tim Curry definitely feels like he's got a governor put on him. And, <laughs> and, and until the end, it, it, like, this is not Rocky Horror Picture Show or even it level Tim Curry. So people are like, oh, he saves the whole movie because he's just, he's going for it. I didn't get that sense. I've seen no. Tim Curry go for it. I've seen Clue. I've seen Rocky Horror. I've seen it. I've seen that motherfucker go for it. He's not going for it here. And it's almost like he's become aware that he's in a movie because he is at that level, you know, like you can tell he's yeah. toning it down to the point that he feels tame. And like, he's like, Oh yeah, is that, is that a take? Sweet. We next. Oh yeah. Okay. You know, and it's just like, he, I mean, it's like, it's like employing Nicholas Cage for a role and you're like, I need you to be quiet and subdued the whole time. You'd be like, you're wasting his fucking talents, man. That's not what he's good at. You know, <laughs> like use him for something just well, insane. And that's what Tim Curry's good at. Have him ham it up. Have him be over the top. Have him be crazy. It's like he's in a movie with fucking Muppets. It's not like anybody's expecting him to be this subdued and toned down, you know? Instead, what this movie goes for is it just has him have that big old smile that he has. Yeah. It's like that's their version, and he just like has this big old smile, and it's like, you're right. It's almost like he's what made Tim Gur- Tim Curry so good is he's he chews scenery in a non self aware way, mm. right? He is self aware. I'm not saying that he isn't, but his performance doesn't feel self aware. So when he's Doctor Frankenfooter, it doesn't feel like oh yeah, even though it's this campy over the top thing. He doesn't play it as like wink, wink, nod, nod so much. Yeah. He embraces it, but you can tell behind the performance, he obviously, he gets it. He gets the show that he's in. Same thing with like it, right? It's like, he's not, he's not trying to make it like campy. He's like, he's, he's being this creepy ass clown or whatever. And it's just funny because it's Tim Curry and whatnot. He knows by this point he has a reputation as being over the top and he knows that he's in a Muppet movie. So it's almost by just like standing there and smiling and exuding Tim Curry-ness. It's almost like that's the performance instead of actually doing a performance. For me, I know 90s kids and many of our listeners who told me this is one of your favorite Muppet movies. I'm so sorry. I, I, I wanted to, again, I wanted 
to go back and watch this movie and be like, this is the next Muppet Christmas Carol, right? Would I rather live yeah. in a world with less Muppet movies I like or more Muppet movies I like? More, right? Like, I don't go into... I'm already on, I'm team Muppet. I'm already on the team. I got the Jersey. I love the Muppets. I want to love everything the Muppets have ever done. So they don't, you know, they've already got built in goodwill with me. Right. I, I cried hearing Jim Henson's voice almost. So I'm on the team. Fire this bad boy up within 10 minutes. I'm like, nope, 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 nope. <laughs> this is the same. This is exactly what I remember. This fucking sucks. So for that reason, it's a five out of ten. It's the worst of the week. It's a four point five for me. And is it's, it your number four? Uh, yeah, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> well, Could be four that's fecal. interesting. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's keep it moving. The you know <laughs> people love their '90s Muppet movies. So let's finish it out with the last Muppet movie of the 90s, Muppets from Space, which currently has a 63% on Rotten Tomatoes. This summer, set your alarm. Pump yourself up. Do it all for you, ladies. And get ready for an adventure that's out of this world. I'm from outer space. Muppets from Space. Just like your neighbors, but cuter. I should go change, okay? Rated G. Only in theaters July 14th. Muppets from Space was directed by Tim Hill. It was written by Jerry Jewell and Joseph uh, Maziano, Ken Kaufman. It's the triumph return of Pat Hingle, last seen as the narrator in uh, Land Before Time. Heard, not seen. It was released July 4th, 1999. On a budget of $24 million, it made $22 million. What is your synopsis, my friend? My synopsis is this. Hey, have you been wondering over all these films what the fuck Gonzo is? Well, hijinks ensue as, as this movie tells you where he came from in the fucking title. The entire thing is we're supposed to feel for Gonzo because he's like, I am... Like, it's never bothered me before throughout all these movies. But at this point, it's started to bother me that there's... It opens up with a goddamn nightmare sequence of Noah's Ark. <laughs> where God, God is like two of every kind on the ship. And then he's like, oh, there's, you don't have another pair of you. So you're just going to die in the flood. That's how the movie opens, which is a heavy ass way to open your Muppet movie. And then right? gives him a fucking umbrella. I was like, hey, 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 here you go. You yeah. need this. I was like... That's funny. I was, in, <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's not bad. Yeah, and then God hands him an umbrella, which is like nothing, right? He's going to die in the flood alone. Yeah. And that's his fear, right? Is he's going to die alone, which is like this Muppet existential crisis, which again, I'm not opposed to that idea because the fuck, if, if anybody can fucking do it, it's the Muppets. Mm. But we spend the first 20, 30 minutes of being like, what am I? Who am I? Uh, you know, whatever, whatever. Um, we already know the answer. The answer is he's an alien. And also, that's an extraordinarily unsatisfying answer. One, you're right. Nobody ever asked the question. It's funnier that he's a whatever he is. It's funny that he's a weirdo. It's funny that he's a what's it. It's funny that he is just a gonzo. That's the joke. That's what makes him funny. Just say, well, he's an alien. That's not funny. 
Nah. Second nah. of all, if you're going to reveal his origins and that's the central, like that's the state what's at stake in the movie is his identity. Don't fucking call it Muppets from space. Exactly. Show me that he's an alien in a goddamn trailer, man. Yeah. Just call him, uh, I don't know, like the great mystery of Gon- oh, mystery of the great Gonzo or something like that. You know, like come up with a generic title yes. that could be applied to him that, you know, that can hook us in. Like we, we know it's a Muppets movie. You know, everybody got that pre-built-in audience. You don't need to just blow your wad in the fucking title. Jesus. It's a Muppet movie that is at least seems to be returning its focus to actual Muppets. Yep. And this time it's not Piggy and Kermit. Hmm. It's not their wedding. It's not this or that, whatever, which is fine. But we, I feel like we've, at this, by this point, we've done that. We've done the Peggy Kermit stuff. So I like the idea of taking Gonzo, who is one of the all-time great Muppets, and putting him at the forefront and making it a Muppet-centric story, right? This isn't an adaptation of this. That, it's a Muppet movie starring Muppets. And I feel like there is an attempt uh, of some kind towards Muppet-style jokes. Uh, like the bit that always gets me and they've done it forever, but it always gets me is when Bunsen takes off his glasses to wipe them. And it's a two level joke because one, he has no eyes, so he does not need glasses. But second of all, the glasses have no lenses. <laughs> yeah. That was, so that was he's phenomenal. Wiping That's nothing. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's wiping lenses that don't exist for eye for glasses for eyeballs he doesn't have. Yeah, that sort of shit is fucking funny. Okay, the 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 certain cameos in this. At least I get what they're going for. Which brings me to one of my questions. Again, I don't have twenty questions, but I do have a few. Cool. Is this the greatest cinematic achievement in Hulk Hogan's career? Easily, right? Easily. This is what a suburban mum or what the what was his other ones? Um, oh, suburban <laughs> commando. Nanny. Sorry, yeah. Suburban commando. You say suburban mum? Suburban mum. That was something else. All completely. But bloody that, Pornhub search history. I think. <laughs> the funny part for me was like it. It coincided right when I started watching wrestling again. Like I remember watching wrestling as a kid, like WWE yeah. or WWF. You know, it became popular over here. So did WCW. So when he comes out, he's hey brother, oh, I'm a villain now, NWO. I was like, oh yeah, that's right. You, you had the NWO, and that was your gimmick, and you and Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, and but it unfortunately becomes a snapshot of time that for me watching it, I'm like, oh, I get that. And my wife was like, what? And I was like, you don't want to know. You don't need me to explain the two. You're just going to roll your eyes and be like. <laughs> you don't need me to explain the outsiders and the NWO <coughs> and WCW. and Yeah. Exactly. You're uh, not going to appreciate it. Not at all. Yeah. <laughs> it is funny as a wrestling fan, especially of that era. Yeah. To have him and, and then like one of them, maybe even Gonzo, but it might have been current. One of them is like. Uh, but Mr. Hogan, what like what will the kids think or something like that or whatever? And he's like, "Hey guys, I'm a bad guy now." Yeah, and that's I, and like that is okay. That's like a Muppet joke, right? That's a cameo, and it's meta, and it's like okay, it makes sense. Mm. But goddamn, man, there's not a lot of jokes in here. I did get a, a chuckle out of the. Gonzo being struck by lightning. <laughs> yeah, that was good. That was good. And the way that they choose to do the lightning is bullet time. 
It was a bullet time. He's struck by lightning in the 3D as the camera pans around him in 1999, the same year as The Matrix, which I thought was interesting. Yep. And then he astral projects into space and those fish appear. And he's like, are you my ancestors? They're like, no. You know, and like, Some <laughs> of that was funny. The sandwich yeah. talking to him I thought was funny. And then he's like, hello, are you still there? <laughs> yeah. Because he wants to bite the sandwich. And then the sandwich keeps talking to him. That was funny. And then the sandwich is like, well, what do you want from me? I'm just a sandwich. Like some of that stuff. Okay. And yep. some, those are like Muppet style jokes. But there's so few and far between. And of all the movies that we've talked about, this one feels the most lethargic. Despite the fact that they've like just loaded this movie with soul music and the soul soundtrack. And this entire movie just feels so like low energy. Did you get that? Did you feel like how like like slow moving it was? I did. It did feel like they were just plodding along, and like I will say, like I don't get it. No, I don't get it either. Like, it's funny because like some of the other films, I felt like were lacking the celebrity cameos. Then I feel like this one, they're like, yeah, we've heard you, so we're gonna chuck in anyone that's semi popular. So you're getting you know David Arquette, Ray Liotta, Rob Schneider. Yeah. You know, Andy McDowell, Kathy Griffin, it's like, it just dates it a lot because none of these people went on to have massively huge career. I mean, Ray Liotta obviously still doing stuff, but, right. you know, there's no one there that sort of went on, but it's, it's almost feel like they're just waiting to set one of those up and they're like, this is, you know, this is the punchline, this is the wackiness. I mean, certainly Ray Liotta's character, when he gets sprayed with that mist by Miss Piggy and then he has to do everything she says and stuff, I was like, oh, yeah, it's okay. You know, like it's, is that where we're at now? Is it? Is that, is that it? Okay. You know, so <laughs> I think this is one of the most disliked Muppet movies. This is the one people point and go, oh, that one stinks. Yeah. And I and I get it because Gonzo to me is such a great character. And a Gonzo movie could work. But if you're gonna do a Gonzo, you gotta go old school Gonzo, where he is a chicken fucking <laughs> bizarre. That's the bit, right? He's, he's fucking Camilla. He's fucking these chickens. Yeah. And he is this absolutely bizarre person. He enjoys pain. I mean, there's the whole bit in one of these movies where he's like, I think it's uh, maybe takes, uh, I think it's the, the caper where he's like, uh, oh, Fozzie, come on over here. Stick your nose. <laughs> Stick your nose in this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like sticking his nose in the elevator. He's getting off on it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like that's obviously the, the part of the joke is his nose is a penis, right? Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. He's got a cock for a nose and he fucks chickens and he'll, he likes blowing himself up. And he, he's like a weird sadomasochistic chicken fucker. And he's got a weird warped, like in the Muppet movie, when he gets on the balloons and he's like, Oh man, I hope I get to go to outer space. This feels like fly. And he's like very clearly like gonna die. And he's like, maybe he's like, maybe I'll die up here. Yeah. Yeah. yeah <laughs> he's yeah. just so excited. He's just this weird little creature. So if you're gonna do a movie like that, you gotta capture that spirit, right? You could have done something so like outside the box. And especially in like 1999, you could have done something. Now you've got a generation of or two of kids. In the same way that wrestling, right? We went from the the rock and roll, rock and wrestling connection of, you know, uh, you know, take your vitamins and say your prayers and drink your milk and all this sort of stuff, Hulk Hogan era 
to what's Hulk Hogan doing in 1999, right? He's got the fucking black beard with the with the 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 blonde mustache of Fu Manchu, and he's got the all black NWO. You know, it's like edgier. You could have done, you could have gone back in a weird way to the edgier um, Muppet roots and done a really like subversive, weird, funny, ed- like not only say edgy, that's not the right word, but your audience has grown up. So you could go back to the Muppet show kind of roots of, you know, poking fun at celebrities and being more satirical and being wittier and being like a little bit more inappropriate, pushing the envelope, some innuendo, because it's gonzo, for God's sake. Yeah, yeah. And instead, they deliver one of the most sanitized of the movies. This feels just like a very lazy Disney movie. And it's strange to me that this is where we've gotten. It is. I I wholeheartedly agree. Like, he... I mean, he's gonzo. Like, um... People are familiar with Hunter Where's S. Thompson, the who wrote Fear and Loving Las Vegas. He invented gonzo journalism, which is like just yeah. abstract, off the wall, usually drug-infused, like insanity. And like that's that's him. We don't need mopey gonzo who's scared of dying alone. We don't need any of that stuff. He didn't, the gonzo we know and love doesn't care. We we almost want him like a similar to Take a Manhattan sort of thing. You want a rags and riches of Gonzo the Great trying to become the next evil Knievel. You want a story like that where it just shows him just yeah. doing escalatingly <laughs> right. more and more insane stuff to the point that he right. like he jumps a motorcycle from one space station to another and then blows it up. You know what I mean? Like you want something that's that right. insane that you're like, what the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. Six out of 10. It's my number four for the week. I know where it ranks for you, but remind the audience at home where it's going to rank. And what's your score? And and why so low when you have Muppet Treasure Island right there? Well, well, I was about to say, you've actually made a very good point. So I'm going to bump this up to 4.6. It was going to be fourth equal, but it's going to be a 4.6 out of 10. So it's going to be my fourth for the week as well. So Muppet Treasure Island now drops to fifth. I think like I feel like we're way too in tune. You know, if people were tuning in for drama and shit, I can start talking more shit about Paul from Countdown Podcast if you want. But <laughs> Go ahead. But I feel like we're in tune here, man. It's, it's definitely, yeah, it's... Definitely not as bad as Muppet Treasure Island. You're right. All right, so this is where we might get some controversy. We couldn't get it in the movies. Let's see if we can get it here. We are going to give our top five Muppet rankings for Muppets not named Kermit. We'll start with your number five. Who is the fifth best Muppet? We'll do a countdown here. A countdown of the top five Muppets, not named Kermit. Who is your fifth? I'm just going to preface all of these, by the way, and just say here from the outset that I've probably modeled some of my life on some of these characters in this. And so when I was young, I really wanted to be a journalist. This might be nepotism. I'm going to go with Sam the Eagle. Number five. Sam the Eagle. Okay, so number five. What what do you love about Sam? Especially because he's very nationalistic, pro-USA. <laughs> and you're not an American. How could you adopt our symbol, our Muppet, into your culture. That's cultural appropriation, sir. It is. That's exactly what I'm doing. I just, I like to tell sort of stoic and to the point and gruff and like uh, Muppet Treasure Island, he had a bit more to do, which I appreciated. 
Uh, I mean, but aside from the rest of the films, didn't really have that much to do. But I, there was something about him that I just liked growing up. I just liked how he was a little rough around the edges, a little coarse. Yeah. Just, yeah. Well, Sam, I'm proud to be an American because at least <laughs> I know I'm free. I know that you're from New Zealand, so you don't have any idea what freedom or democracy are about. Because you're not under the, the bars and the stripes, baby, like I am. Uh, but I Sam love Eagle, how you say that. Because right this, this <laughs> week, was it this week or this month, they, they've just released the freedom rankings for the most free countries in the world. And for the fourth year running, New Zealand is number one. <laughs> Communists wrote that. <laughs> Socialists wrote that. America is the freest country on God's green earth. And if you have any freedom in New Zealand, it's because we choose to let you have freedom. <laughs> sure. That's right. Sure, bro. Uh, sure. <laughs> Sam will not appear in my ranking, but my number five is a very often overlooked Muppet, but I love him especially in the earlier movies, I'm talking about, and it's not just because you're here, Sam, I'm talking about Lou Zealand, baby, yeah! <laughs> it's mostly because he has a bucket of boomerang fish, yeah. <laughs> and there is no explanation as to why. And sometimes they're exploding boomerang fish, and there's no explanation as to why. This motherfucker shows up in a clown costume, without clown makeup, and just throws fish at people. And he's absolutely batshit insane. And I find him funny every time he appears because it never makes any sense. When he shows up at Skeeter, when he's managing the movie theater in Cleveland, Ohio, right up the road from sunny tropical Akron, Ohio, and he's like, they're, they're attacking the fish people or whatever it is. And he's like, oh, this is my favorite movie. And he's like, do you need the glasses? <laughs> he's like, no, I've seen it 50 times. Oh, here comes my favorite part. And he's like, I throw the fishes. Yeah. That <laughs> was amazing. Watch out. They come back. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. That's the anarchy I want in my Muppet movies. I want a Lou Zealand. Yep. Number four for you, Sam. Number four. Uh, so I mentioned San Diego was somebody who modeled my life on. At one point there, I really wanted to be a journalist. Uh, these next two, because they, they're up here. The, I had a friend and we used to often be referred to as these two because we would go to parties and we would have a few drinks and then just rip the piss out of other people to the point that we got nicknamed Statler and Wardorf. So that's why they're my number four. Because wow. that was us. We just used to just rip the fuck out of everyone. Hey, do you know what I like about you? What? Nothing. <laughs> that was us. That's the type of jokes we used to throw out at fucking parties and shit. So I've got to have them in here. They've slipped down the rankings a little bit because there's obviously some heavier hitters that need to come out. But yep, they're still in there. I, you know, I thought for sure they were going to make my list uh, because they are probably the all two all time two greatest assholes of all time. Yeah, yeah. But they did not make my list. I did put another pair though in my number four spot, and for me, it's Bunsen and Beaker. Yep. yep. Because there is just so in the Great Muppet Caper when they try to break into the museum, <laughs> and Bunsen has Beaker. Like, touch the electrical whatever, the booby trap or whatever, and his entire eyeballs light up and steam is coming out of him, and none of the Muppets react, including Bunsen. They're deadpan, as this goes on for seemingly several minutes, as he's just screaming. <laughs> and then they never acknowledge it. They're like, okay, we can get in now. And they just oh, and they go in, 
That sort of shit is hilarious to me. Yeah. And again, that it's such a simple gag, but the taking off of the glasses. And, and you know why it's so funny to me? As a kid, it never occurred to me that he didn't have eyes. <laughs> so I remember the first time as a kid, I saw that. He did the thing where he took the glasses off and then put him back on. I was like, that motherfucker doesn't have, I like to say as a kid, but I'm like, that guy doesn't have eyes. Yeah. That's the joke. I get it. And there's something so empowering. This is a, like being kind of serious here. There's something so empowering about being a kid and not being talked down to where that you just have jokes or you have a premise or you have ideas that are sharp and clever. And there's something so empowering as a kid when you watch it and then that, syn that, that synapse fires for the first time and you make those connections and you, you feel empowered. You feel smarter because you got something because you miss so much as you're developing cognitively as a kid. But then you your brain starts to make those connections. And that's when I think when the Muppets were at their best, they didn't talk down, even though we've said this a million times now, even though kids could watch it, they were not necessarily for kids. But as a kid, when you got the bit, when you got the joke, you felt so smart watching it. And I don't feel like there's, and I don't have a two and a half year old, but I'm not sure there's as many, as much kids entertainment or entertainment that we put in front of kids that gives them that same experience. No, nah, it's not. educational stuff, certainly. And then there's, you know, funny stuff, certainly. But is there funny stuff that's, it's like, again, two, three, four steps ahead of its audience that as you grow, you can grow with the show. I don't know that that exists. There's not. Uh, let me tell you, I've seen about a million different TV, <laughs> kids' TV shows in the last uh, year. <laughs> and there's not. <laughs> there's not. There's yeah. nothing out there like like this, no. All right, what is your number three, Sam? My number three is, again, somewhat of modern my life after. Uh, my comedy typically comes from the, holy shit, that's terrible, but I'm going to laugh anyway. It's Fuzzy Bear! Waka Waka! I love Fuzzy Bear! He's almost like Sam in um, Lord of the Rings. Like, he's this, like confident friend that's there that helps Kermit for all of his stuff you know I always used to think it was Scooter but he didn't, or Skeeter or whatever he didn't even pop up at all in this but like Fozzie was no. there for every one of these movies just helping him and supporting him and being the friend we all want and occasionally dropping in with some really just stupid jokes and as I mentioned you know like yeah. the drinks are on the house that was the one that just got me over the line with all these shows that was the that was my top joke and so <laughs> I gotta have Fozzie in here gotta yeah for me, it's another underrated one. It's Rolf. Oh, he was up who there. Who was also yeah. voiced by Jim Henson. And what's really weird is Rolf was like a main Muppet in the show. He was a main Muppet in the movies. And then when Jim Henson dies, he's like relegated to like a background player. And I wonder if like maybe they just can't do the like that was one Muppet that he just really loved doing or something. Because obviously you got to keep Kermit going. Yeah. You don't have Muppets yeah. without Kermit. But Jim Hansen was also Rolf, among many others. And it's like the moment he died, Rolf just got like relegated to like background player. I love him because he's he is the coolest of the Muppets, in my opinion. He never loses his head. He never like the whole bit with him working at the dog kennel. <laughs> that, that was good. I'll, I'll admit that, yeah, the, yeah, that was one of the highlights was him working at the dog kennel. Uh, what, who is your number two? 
My number two, I'm going to give the full name, Pagentheus Lee, a.k.a. Miss Piggy. That's her real name? Yeah, Pagentheus Lee. Uh, I believe it's in one of the episodes <laughs> of Muppets. Somebody, she says her real name is Pagentheus Lee, and then people know her as just as Piggy Lee. <laughs> and so, yeah, Miss Piggy. Miss Piggy, I mean, she's like, what, what can be said about her that hasn't already been said? I mean, she's an icon for young girls everywhere. You know, she doesn't take shit. She stands up for herself. She's self-assured. Even, like, she has vulnerabilities sometimes. Even then when we see you're vulnerable, like, am I pretty? You know, stuff like that. It's like, it's just normal insecurities everyone has. So she's incredibly relatable. I feel incredibly sorry for her and the way Kermit treats her in a lot of these fucking movies. But at the same time, man, she's, she's <laughs> awesome. She's, she's, like, next level. She's um, everything that I think young girls should aspire to be. She's, she's yeah, an icon. <laughs> true to the muppet form was that one my number two yeah. is a pea but it's not a pig it's a king prawn he's not a shrimp he is a wow, king prawn. really it's pepe pepe the king prawn if all i feel like he's a newer muppet that came around in the 90s it was like him and clifford which yeah was the i don't guy from i don't remember Muppets tonight. He was in Muppets in Space. He's the one with the dreadlocks. Worst Muppet of all time is Clifford. Just the worst. <laughs> because he's not funny. He's not a, it's, it didn't make any sense of why. He, he's almost like a human being that just happens to be a Muppet. It, was like, it didn't make any sense. Pepe is actually funny. And of the, I think he's in, I've watched all of these like in a row. I'm pretty sure he's in Muppet Treasure Island. <clears throat> it might be the first time he turns up in the feature films. That is the only, like, other than Dead Tom, one of the few laughs that I got was from Pepe. Pepe can make me laugh in anything, whether it's a straight-to-video Muppet movie, whether it's a Muppet TV special, whatever it is, if that fucking King Prawn is in that show, he's going to get at least one actual laugh out of me. So I love Pepe. (laughs) It's not bad. It's not bad. He's very sexual. (laughs) He is. I was about to say, he's very creepy. He's very creepy. He's very thirsty. He's the horniest shrimp who's ever existed. And again, it gets back to what I think is the spirit of the Muppets, which is like, boy, this really, the kids could watch this, but this really isn't for kids. Okay, who is your number one? My number one. I tried to tried to keep a very, uh, try not to say too much during the Muppets from Space one. It's Gonzo. He was my favorite as a yeah, kid. Yeah, me too. He's the me man. Too. He is the man. He was, he was easily my favorite as a kid. He was my favorite as an adult. I don't care he's got a dick for a nose. Uh, I don't care that he hangs around inappropriately with chickens. I ate a lot of fried chicken. That's my Achilles heel. That's my weakness. That's the reason why I don't weigh half the weight that I do now. It's because I love fried chicken. So I love chicken as well. I, I'm there with you. Maybe not as much as you, bro, but I'm there. And he's just, there's <laughs> something endearing about him. Something just like... Oh, he just puts himself out there. He just tries crazy and wacky shit. Again, modeling my life after some of these characters. Yes, if you looked at my history of some of my drunken stories that I'm not going to reveal on any podcast ever, you'd probably say, yep, that's something Gonzo would do. So yeah, there we go. He's that dude. He's that dude for me. Yeah, worst podcast episode ever. (laughs) (laughs) We've trashed people's favorite uh, Muppet movie, Muppet Treasure Island. Uh (laughs) Fuck him. Let it burn. We've... (laughs) We've done rankings without Kermit. Yep. And we agreed on almost everything. So speaking of agreed on almost everything, let's give a recap. 
Coming in dead last for me is Muppet Treasure Island, which I give a 5 out of 10. Number 4 is Muppets from Space, 6 out of 10, only because it puts the Muppets back in the forefront and at least tries to get back to some of the humor, even if it is half-hearted. Number 3 is The Great Muppet Caper, which I give an 8 out of 10. The highs are as high as you could possibly imagine, but those lows, whew. And then coming number two is Muppets Take Manhattan, which is probably the best produced film out of all of these, but the least Muppety, with 8.25 out of 10. And then the Stone Cold Classic, number one, going on to the short list, is The Muppet Movie, 8.5 out of 10. All-time great comedies. Yep. And, uh, yeah, very similar. Muppet Treasure Island now did last as well, 4.5 out of 10. Muppets from Space, 4.6 out of 10. Muppets Take Manhattan, 6.3 out of 10. Muppet Caper, I feel like it's done harsh on this one, but uh, no, 7.3 out of 10. And then, yep, Muppets still at number one, 8.7 out of 10. And, yep, the Muppets, yeah. easily, yep, easily. Easily both our number ones, yeah. and rightfully so. All right. If you had to give a recommendation of the week, doesn't have to be your number one. It could be, hey, number one's the best, but I think this one's underseen or whatever the case may be. What is your recommendation of the week? The Muppets movie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just, I, it, I, I was trying to think of that. I was like, somebody watch a caper movie over the Muppets movie? Nah, the Muppets movie, man. It's a straightforward plot, awesome acting. Awesome performances, uh, awesome jokes, everything everything that's there for someone to enjoy, really. It's, it's easily, easily the recommendation. On our next episode, we'll be ranking the films of Blumhouse, which includes Sinister, The Purge, Split, Happy Death Day, and Upgrade. All right, Sam, we didn't quite have the fireworks that we were expecting. We didn't have the clash of list that you sometimes do on this show, but I'm sure that means that we are at odds with all of film Twitter. So when you're not being brigaded by Muppet, the Muppet community, uh, where are you? Where can we find you? What are you up to? And do you have any final thoughts about Paul from the camera? <laughs> nah, Paul's all good. He's okay. Um, yeah, my podcast, Movie Reviews and 20 Qs, we take a movie, we ask 20 questions about it. Similar to this show, we try to go poignant, you know, do a little bit of an in-depth analysis, but at the same time, we try to keep it pretty absurd and comedic, I think is the best way to describe it. So, you know, we might look at a film and rather than go, what kind of themes was the director going for? We'd say, what flavor pizza is this film? Or what quote from this film would be the worst thing to hear immediately after you finish having sex? Or um, how would you put Nicolas Cage into this film? So we typically try to ask questions that anybody could sort of think of and relate to a film without being too film snobbery. And the reason for that is because I'm the only cinephile on the show. We have usually just average people, just average Joes who, you know, just have standard opinions. So, like, there's none of that. There's none. There's no film Twitter snobbery. It's just, yeah, it's just a fun time. Where can we find you? I assume we can find you on Apple, Spotify, and yep. all of the places where you can find great podcasts. Yep, basically everywhere. If you type in movie reviews in and then just type two zero with the numbers, you should be able to find us. Uh, yeah, just movie reviews and 20 Qs. That's that's it. Twitter, we're at movie reviews in, and then Facebook and Instagram, which we don't really use. We are just movie reviews and 20 Qs. And yeah, hunt us out, come listen to us, tell us we're stupid. We love that. <laughs> 
<laughs> How long have you been doing it? Oh, we're coming up episode 200, so four or five years? We've had a couple of breaks. Had a couple of breaks. But um, yeah, coming up episode 200, so quite some time now. Yeah. We're going to have you on soon, by the way. Is it? Yeah. Oh, okay. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. I'd love to do it. Is Now, it's you, and do you want to give a shout out to some of the people who come in and help you do it? Nah, fuck no. <laughs> <laughs> fuck him. <laughs> It's been an absolute blast, man. I've enjoyed the hell out of this. This has been quite a treat. Love sitting around talking about movies and to talk with yourself. This has been amazing. Been absolutely awesome. Well, yeah, thank you so much. And of course, until next time, Ben John. Mm-hmm.